Hello and welcome to Running Inside Out Podcast, where we talk about the races we ran in, the races we're not in, and getting outside to see what's going on inside the Rochester running scene. In this episode, we have a fireside chat with Mitch Ball and discuss many things moving, from competing with siblings up mountains, training for triathlons, to finding himself on random adventures like Grand Canyon Rim to Rim with friends. He tells us how all of that has culminated in 100 miles at Leadville in Colorado. Yeah, sweet. But first, a little business up front. So here's all the things, right? Uh, Some of you heard these before, but uh, every day there's somebody who finds this podcast for the first time. So show notes can be found right in your podcast player. It's true. Check out your player now and you should see some stuff about uh, the Trails Collective Frozen Snot, and David Goggins, plus other things. Uh, It's a great way to find out what the heck we're really talking about. Next, the website. If you go out to runningincideoutpodcast.com, you can find all the episodes, some cool show art that you may have never seen before, as well as bios for each of the guests. One cool feature, I think, is if you go to the guest page, you can click on any guest and see a list of every single episode they were on. And uh, there's some guests mentioned in this episode, so, you know, you could... Then follow the links, right? Yeah. Uh, Social things. There is a Strava run group, Running Inside Out Podcast, and Instagram, which, yeah, let's let's face it. Is it really an Instagram if it's neither instant uh, nor a gram? But it's at Run Inside Out. And uh, there's a message board, an old school message board, where uh, you can find all the things and chat about running and only running and running-related things. No ads, no data mining, no social graphs or anything else yucky. Just chatting about running. Find that link in the show notes as well. Lastly, Patreon. As I mentioned recently, I'm redoubling efforts here to build us up for the future. I owe it to everyone who listens and everyone who has supported it over the years to make sure it is sustainable long into the future. The Patreon supporters are the ones who keep this thing going. Additionally, on the fun side, your continued financial support helps me keep improving the podcast. For instance, you'll notice in this particular episode, new, re-recorded outside by the fire in Mitch's backyard. And that is expressly due to Patreon supporters. I was able to save up all the monthly earnings and buy some Road Go 2 wireless microphones. No more fussing about with XLR cables and making sure guests lean into the microphones. I mean unless they're really into that sort of thing. Um, But clip them on and we go. So pretty great. Uh, So while we may have a few bumps getting used to them, and uh, this podcast had a few bumps getting used to them, it's all good, this is going to make future podcasts so much easier and much more fluid and fun. So thank you. Listen all the way to the end of this episode to find out what fun clipping a mic to a guest can be. (laughs) Um, I know times are weird for everyone and some of us need help more than others. But I also know that some people are actually looking for some way they might be able to uh, lend a hand because giving feels good. So uh, thanks for thinking of us. Uh, Thank you to our most recent contributor, Brian Hall. Did you know Brian recently started a podcast called Running With Podcast? Yes, indeed. A running podcast about running while listening to podcasts. In it, he talks about running and the podcast he listened to while running. Genius. Sheer genius. I'll uh, toss a link in the show notes. Give it a listen if that sounds like your uh, 
cup of tea, you're into running and discovering new podcasts, that might be it. Uh, so again, if you're in a good financial place, and that's serious number one requirement, uh, and if you look forward to this podcast each week and it inspires, educates, or entertains you regularly, consider becoming a supporter. Guess what? You can find the link in the show notes or in the homepage. So that's that. Uh, please know that any amount of support is appreciated. But keep in mind the number one way you can always support the show is to tell a friend and help them subscribe. Uh, oh, yeah. And, you know, rate, like, subscribe, slap that bell, drop a fave, swipe right, and whatever else those kids are doing these days. Got to feed that algorithm. Okay, well then, let's get on with it. Mitch has stories about the right shoes, the wrong shoes, the beauty of the group run, and what you should eat when you are feeling at your lowest. So let's get into the trails, training, food, friends, and yes, even feelings of runners just like you. Hey. Hey, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you, Mitch? I'm wonderful. Uh, it's a beautiful night. I had a good friend with me. Uh, I can't uh, ask for anything more. This is a perfect, perfect fall scenario here, right? Yes, absolutely. R- talking about running, sitting out by a fire. Yeah, it's awesome. No cables. No cables. No cables. This is your. <laughs> as you were saying, go ahead. You tell. You tell the audience oh, no, I'm, about your cableless experience. I'm very excited to not have to set up cables. So. Thanks to the uh, the good folks that support this podcast, we uh, now have wireless microphones. So that's totally awesome. Uh, you know, uh, if if things go according to plan, everybody will hear this. Yes, <laughs> and I'm sure you feel very liberated. I, I, it's yes. There's a lot. It's much easier to do the episode because you can lean forward to the fire like you just did, right? And lean back from the fire like you just did without you losing an expensive uh, uh microphone wire. Or without you having to like be near the microphone and away from the microphone and worry about all that. Sure. They're yeah. gone now. That's yes. that's another piece that's gone. It's know? wonderful. It's like when they, you know, when you get a when you get a good pair of trail shoes, you don't think about how good your trail shoes are. Right. You just go running. That's right. And then at the end, you take off your shoes you yeah. never are like boy these shoes are awesome look how awesome <laughs> all these shoes are that's right you know so that's that's how it's that's how it feels right now yeah. the setup was effortless we're outside yeah it's, it's funny uh shoes 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 are like a love-hate relationship for runners right <laughs> they can be either really good or really bad or somewhere in between yeah and you know i think the the biggest thing if you're running for a while the biggest thing that's most frustrating about shoes is when you find your shoe Mm-hmm. And then they're like, hey, uh, 2020 model, you know, model eight. And it's all different. And yeah. you're like, why did you change it? Yeah. So um, this reminds me of uh, uh, your, your running friend, our running friend, Phil Nesbitt. And um, we talked about him. Uh, we've talked about him before. Uh, he's a good friend of mine. And friend of the show. Phil friend Nesbitt. of the show, uh, <laughs> Phil Nesbitt. And we both had a favorite shoe, all-time favorite shoe, the Mizuno Wave Elixir. Okay. And so even like when I would go, like I, I um, ran Mega Transect a number of years ago, I would run in um, the Mizuno Wave Elixir, which was a road shoe pretty much. I would run trail races in them because they were so comfortable. They were just incredibly comfortable. On the Mega Transect? Yes, I ran in Mizuno Wave Elixirs on Mega Transect, 27, 28 miles, whatever it was. Right. And I got second place behind... Um, the legend from Rome, Adam Russell, 
Marone PA. Uh, so that was a PA race. And I, just, I blew the sides out of them. Right. But I had like eight pairs of them. Um, and like they discontinued that shoe. Yeah, I was going to say, tell our friends the, uh, the sad end of the story is they're gone. The shoes are gone. Yeah. And I looked for them online forever on eBay. I found a couple pairs. I would be running in them, and Phil would get super envious because I still found some ways to collect, collect <laughs> the wave elixirs. And now that they're gone, they're gone. But I still have a couple in the basement. Um, but they hurt to run it now. <laughs> now, the old man feet are different than the young man well, feet. Well, and the shoes are worn out. You okay. know? I, oh, yeah. I just, right. I probably put 700 miles on each pair of those shoes. I remember uh, Mike Weldon and his endless quest for the Brooks Green Silence. Yeah. Like, everywhere he could find a pair of Green Silence, he'd yes. be, you know, give me them. Those are mine. I'm going to buy those. So I got to tell you something. I bought a, um, a pair of uh, Peregrine Sevens. Yeah. Um, from Washington, the state of Washington, because I love them so much. So I ordered them and I got them like a year ago. And I, I know um, part of what we're gonna talk about is Leadville at some point. I ran a good segment of Leadville in a pair of Peregrine Sevens, which wow. are probably, what, five, six, seven years old yep. now. I have a pair of Sevens. Um, I, my first pair of Peregrines was Peregrine Fives. Mm -hmm. And I love the Fives. Yeah. Uh, I did not like the sixes. Oh, okay. Did did not like zero out of five stars. Yeah. Uh, maybe because they were just slightly different or yep. whatever. I was picky. I don't know. Um, and then I bought a pair of sevens, but I, it was at that time when I had lots of shoes. Sure. So I found them in mm. the basement last year. Do you still have them? During COVID. What size is your foot? <laughs> they, uh, How much do you want for the Peregrine Sevens? They're ten. They're size tens. I I'm think a ten. Oh yeah, I was going to say. I was going to say you got to be bigger than a size ten. No, I'm like I wear anything from a, depending on the shoe nine and a half to ten and a half, but yeah. generally tens. Yeah. Um, and I think I might even wear those ones a little tight, but I could deal with tens. <laughs> I could deal they, with tens. But all the Peregrines were subject to the pinky toe blowouts. Right. You know? Yep. But they're so comfortable before that happens. Yeah. You know. So yeah, I found those during COVID. I'm like, hey, I got Peregrine Sevens, baby. That's right. Nice. Oh, they're so awesome. And after that they changed them. Yeah. Like the eights were different. They, the eights were like tanks. They right. were like they had big, bulky outsoles. They were heavy. And, yeah. They and were they they had like sharp edges. <laughs> like So, you know, you learn the hard way sometimes. And mm -hmm. so um I know I sent you a great article earlier. Um, from I think it's the Running Collective. Yeah, and from, talks about from Trails great, Collective. Yeah, 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 sorry, Trails Collective, and it talks about great races in the Northeast, and they um, ranked Frozen Snot as um, one of the best trail races for that distance. It was the best for that trail distance, and it's in the middle of winter. Um, it's a crazy course. Um, I ran it an, a couple of years ago, and I remember getting um, to the top of one of the mountains and coming down. And I was in like second place at the time. And that race blew up for me because I didn't have the right shoe. And so having the right shoe is very important. And what's great about the Peregrine specifically is they have grip like no other shoe I've ever worn. Mm -hmm. They and, do. You know, I've tried a lot of different shoes. So I can go run in the ADK in pouring rain, slick rocks, and run straight down a slick rock with those Peregrines and not slip an ounce yeah even on the even on our famous uh, adirondack green rocks you can do that oh yeah well yeah. um i i just as i mean obviously you don't want to run on the, you want to run on the worn part in an adirondack trail you want to be mm -hmm. respectful of the trail don't yeah. run on the, the no but I, i'm talking about those those moss covered rocks that like are by the waterfalls or by the 
the crossings. Those are a little dangerous. And they just got that little yeah, sheet of yeah, algae. Yeah. I've never found anything that sticks no, to those. No, nothing sticks to those. That's where you tiptoe. But you were mentioning you had the wrong footwear, frozen snot. And I'm trying to think of what is the right footwear for uh, Pennsylvania boulders in the middle of winter? Yeah, so I can tell you um, that uh, when I hit that, so um, for the life of me, I can't remember his first name now. Lipsy. Uh, Matt? Matt, thank you. He was there, Adam Russell was there, and then another guy, maybe his last name was Endris or something. And I ended up getting fourth in that race. Uh, but um, I was in second at the time, just a little ahead of Adam. Um, and they flew by me going downhill. What I do know is the shoes I had were not the right ones. <laughs> That's you might not have the right answer, but you had the wrong answer. Right, I definitely had the wrong yeah. shoes. And they were cruising downhill. They just had more aggressive shoes. I think I underestimated how much snow and ice would yeah. be up on the top of those. I would think Lipsy I would think Lipsy would know. I mean that's yeah. his that's his jam. His stomping ground, yeah. Yeah. And the other guy would be uh, I know it, at least uh, Ben Nephew used to run in like these trail claws, like yeah. innovate innovate like had these shoes yes. with metal spikes on them yes you know and that's i know that's how he did the uh devil's path winter fkt was in these oh cool you know innovates with yeah you got blown up there i Good. did that Good. was a big spark <laughs> luckily i have very taunt quads <laughs> bounced bounced right, right off. off me like a like a quarter off yeah, a baby's the, butt <laughs> what they can't see is that i'm in my boxer brief so uh <laughs> This, this is an audible medium, yes. Yeah. Oh, um, boy. But I can, you know who I can blame for frozen snot is Rob Feisner. Oh, really? Because I bought those from him, and I went and picked them up from him at uh, Medved one day. And uh, and then I used those on the trail, and they weren't the right shoe. And I, I still the life of me... I can't remember what the name of them were mm -hmm. because I got rid of them right after the right. race. But second place, would, would you have gotten first place with a better pair of shoes? Heck no. I probably <laughs> would have gotten third because um, Adam, again, he, I ran with him for like the first 21 miles of Mega Transact, 22 miles, and then we hit the final climb and he just took off. He was, I mean, I thought I was good at going uphill on, yeah. uh, in mountains and, and boulders. He's, he, he like floated up. And mind you, I had some great talks with him over the years. I don't know. The guy's got those fingers that, you know, is like a real man. Like you feel <laughs> like a real man until you, you know, like his fingers are like sausages. Like, and he talks about having like five or six plus kids. I don't know. Just lots of kids. And, uh, <laughs> and, and harvesting maple syrup, running up and down mountains. Like. Right. He li he works working. long days. He's a he's a he's a working man. Uh, and working you know, hands. And I, now he's on Strava, which is fun because I can follow him and see what yeah. he's doing. Uh, but you know he doesn't run a whole ton, but he works real hard. Right. You yeah. know, and you can just tell that he's great. And uh, I remember when I started Breakneck Point, but didn't finish it. That's a whole other thing. Um, that was exciting because I know that for a while he was trying to beat Ben Nephew, but hadn't. And at breakneck that year, um, he beat Ben, um, so that was interesting so to watch. So he finally got one over. Yeah, him. yeah. Right. So, so <clears throat> we we sort of, as as is our way, we entered in, uh, we entered into racing. Yeah. Uh, and so, before we get deep into racing, let's talk a little bit about how did you know, uh, like, let's talk a little bit about your running and 
and how you got running to be a part of you. Um, so sometimes it starts with, uh, I was a little kid and I always just ran. Then it peters out at somewhere. And then yeah. you remember that you love running. Yeah. Um, so you're Rochester, right? And you, did you grow up running in, in yeah. and around Rochester? So I um, grew up in Palmyra, kind of on the Masson and Palmyra border, but, you know, closer to Palmyra, just based on how those lines work. And, um, you know, it was fairly rural, I would say. Um, I had cornfields all around my house. I had four siblings. Uh, and we used to just run everywhere. Um, you know, we were just crazy kids. I ADHD kid, you know, lots of energy. And so I'd just be sprinting around everywhere, barefoot generally. Um, and my mom would kick us out of the house um, and off you'd go. And this is, you know, you, can, you don't do that as much anymore, but... Don't come back until yeah, the streetlights are on, Don't right? Don't come back. Um, I'll, you know, put lunch out. I don't want you kids bothering <laughs> me. I got like 18 loads of laundry to do. And, yep. <laughs> um, and I'm tired of you kids. And yeah. so... Um, you know, I'd always just be running everywhere and I just had a ton of energy and loved to be moving and I still love to be moving. And so I think that that's when it really, you know, it just brings me back to who we are as humans, which is we're, you know, a million years of evolution. Uh, we're programmed to be running and moving. And yeah. so, you know, when I'm running and moving, I feel good, you know, and when I'm not, it impacts me, you know, mentally, physically. Right. Um, I don't do as well when I'm not moving. And so I have to be moving. Um, and so another thing too, is that my, you know, one thing I like to talk about is my dad used to, we were a camping family, you know, tent camping. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so we'd go to the Adirondacks or we'd go to Maine and my dad would always take us on hikes up mountains, you know, we'd go up giant mountain or whatever. And I'd always be sprinting out ahead. You know, I was always very competitive. Me and my oldest sister, Kristen, were very competitive. She's a runner now. She runs up in New Hampshire. Uh, and so she was a runner in high school too, but, um, you know, she'd always be running, um, and I'd be running, and we'd be competing with each other, you know, going up and down mountains and doing crazy things. So I've always had a love of being out, out in the woods. And, right, and always being first, apparently. Well, <laughs> being competitive, I think. Right. Like, yeah. And, and, you know, I wouldn't say it's to beat other people. It's just that I, I like to be in competition. I was a yeah. big, you know, in high school I was track and wrestling um, and... Uh, you know, in the spring, I was either cross, or the fall, I was either cross country or soccer. I went back and forth. Um, but I just, I've always been kind, had that competitive spirit, mm -hmm. not to beat people specifically, but just for, it's fun, it's fun for me, I guess, to be competitive. Right. It brings out a little bit more in you than your average Monday night. Yeah. And I don't know if it's nature or nurture. It's probably a little of both, but having four siblings means that you're always um, probably competing for you know, the biggest resources. Yeah. The, the biggest piece of food or yeah. the attention of your parents. I don't know. There might be a little yeah. psychology there that could be yeah. investigated. Well, and it's funny because like I, I had that same, I didn't, I grew up in the city of Buffalo, but I had the same kind of like go outside and do stuff. Yeah. And I was always, we played all the pickup sports basically. Yeah. And it's, it's what's interesting to me now is we would go and knock on people's doors you coming to play hockey? No, no, we're going to play Nintendo. No, Nintendo, get out, come on. 
And we all had Nintendos. Sure. But Nintendos were for rainy days or for sleepovers. Yeah. You know, like, so it was like, no, we need three more people and we can play five on five, you know, and like we could play full court hockey and, you know, whatever it might be. Or you have the goalie pads you need to play. Yeah. (laughs) And we were just out all day, all the time, just moving. Yeah. You know, and at some point I, you know, I think I, I would say college. I lost that. Then my goal became to move as little as possible. Yes. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, but I did. I played the sports in in high school, and um, I even we even had an intramural soccer team. Oh, cool. You know, in in college, mm-hmm. but that served as sort of a vehicle for finding and organizing parties, you yeah. know, and stuff like that. Yep. Um, so did a did a similar thing happen to you? Did or did you? Were you competitive throughout high school and throughout college? And- I was competitive um, through high school. Um, you know, I would say I was really competitive in like the 800, um, decently competitive in the 400. I never really ran the mile, um, but the 800 was my specialty. I was running low 150s. Um, you know, I, I did very well uh, wow. in that distance. Yeah. We are four by 18, won sectionals, and we had a section five record. Um, school record for over 20 years, you know, so, and I still connect with those guys, which is great. We have a oh, text that's... message going on our 4x8 team. So, oh, that's super um, cool. We text regularly. Um, nice. And so, you know, kind of on that front, a little, little competitive. And then um, when I got to, um, and then wrestling was huge for me, and I ended up coaching high school wrestling for years. So that's a whole other ball of wax, but I, I still love the whole wrestling kind of hand-to-hand, uh, mano-a-mano type stuff because... Yeah. You would not strike me as a wrestler. Yeah. Well, that's funny. Um, well, and the reason why I love it is just because when you're on the mat, and now we're going off of, of running, but when you're on the mat, you know, if you don't win, you have nobody to blame but yourself. You know, it's, yeah. it's how much work did you put in, you know, really. Well, isn't that, in, but in that case, you said the competitiveness to beat, you're not competitive to beat somebody, but in wrestling, that's it, right? You yeah. have to dominate that other person. Right. You have to. Well, you have to. Yeah, you have to out wrestle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Dominates a word. If right? you're, if you're, well, I mean, how do you generally win a wrestling yeah, yeah. match? Yeah, you win. I mean, you could out wrestle, I'm sure, yeah. or you dominate because that, you know. So it's, it's interesting that you now have taken the more passive stance of, I like to compete to get the most out of myself. Right. You know, and wrestling, I'm sure you're also getting the most out of yourself, but it's measured by how well you beat that other person. Yeah. You know. Well, and I like to, you know, essentially what it is, is I like to see how far I can push myself. Right. Yeah. Um, and that's really what it is. It's like to figure yeah. out where are my limits. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far, um, I haven't, I, and I'm, I don't think it's specific to me. I'm talking, as humans, you know, it's hard to get philosophical, but. I don't think any of us really have m- many limits other than self-imposed limits. Isn't that isn't that sort of Laz's goal, right? Yeah. With with Barkley. Well, his, and... yeah, that's his goal, but his time cutoffs are where you know you draw yeah. the line. It's like, right. okay, well, yeah, I might be able to do this. There's a lot of people that could do it, but to do it in his time cutoffs, right, is the challenge. But but that's what you know. His whole thing that he talks about is like, you you're not gonna die. I mean, the very, very, the very, very edge case accepting. Yeah. You're not going to die pushing yourself through a half marathon. Right. And you're only going to fail if you quit at a right. half marathon. Yep. Right. And so, like his thing was, you people say they they want to see where their limits are, but everybody does 
signs up for something that's within their limits mm -hmm. and you train to that like i know for me for certain like twisted branch is my limit mm -hmm. because of how much i'm willing to train yeah <laughs> right like yep. and that and that was very much the edge yeah but if i was willing to do more my limit is different right yeah. but people don't sign up oftentimes for something that exceeds their limit sure you know so uh, when you say like um like to explore those things i think of like uh clem who was just on a recent podcast yeah he decided that he wanted his first trail race to be a hundred miler yeah i listened to that podcast that so so was he really like he was trying to find his limit yes. right because he had never done that ever like he wasn't even close to being able to do that yeah so going out and being like well what's my limit well, that's what I did with Ironman, you know? Right. And because so, I had never run a marathon when I did my first Ironman. Right. So let's, so let's get to that. You, um, you, we talked about you were running your... So college, I ran um, cross-country for a year, uh, indoor track for a year, and then I dropped out of, of college, uh, came home and worked, and then I went back to MCC um, and then Geneseo, and Geneseo tried to talk me into um, running cross-country with them because when I ran with Baldwin-Wallace in Ohio, um, we ran a race at Menden Ponds. And um, the only guy on Geneseo's team that beat me was a guy named Jeff Beck. I know that guy. Uh, yeah, uh, he, he beat me. He also he was of my era. He ran for Fairport, I believe, when I was running track. And I never beat him in high school, and I never beat him in college. Uh, but I dropped out, and I didn't come back to running for a very long time uh, until uh, my late 20s. -ish. It wasn't. It wasn't because you couldn't beat Jeff back. No, right? it wasn't. <laughs> nope. Um, <Okay. laughs> it was. Uh, it was really because, um, frankly, my er, my my 20s were a tough time for me, and uh, you know I probably partied too much and had a little too much fun, and um, didn't. I wasn't super focused. I didn't know what I want to do in my life, um, and so. You know, I just continued working through my education eventually um, when, I, you know, I worked through my master's program at Brockport um, was when I um, came back to running because I met a guy named James Brennan, who would be great for your podcast um, because he's done all kinds of crazy adventures. Um, but he um, said to me, hey, um, you know, you should come and run with us, ODR, Oven Door Runners. Yeah. And so that's really what kind of started me back into running, although... Um, I did um, do a couple 5Ks at Soda's Point. Just um, sort of in the interim. around. Yeah, for that, you know, whatever, nine, ten years, whatever it was. Run for the bagels. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> you know, I, my, friend's, my friend's brother was a strong runner, and he'd always be like, I'm going to beat you. And I, he'd be like, come race me at Soda's Point. And so, you know, nice. a couple of times we, we raced each other there. Um, that's funny. But my, you know, yeah, that's kind of that's kind of the gist of that. Yeah, it's interesting when you, when... Um, you consider you were not running, but yet you'd still do a 5K here and there. Mm -hmm. Were you like, were you recreationally running like for fitness? Were you running just to mess around or you just come out of your haze and do 3.1 miles and celebrate? Yeah, it's kind of like that. Well, you know, again, I was coaching high school wrestling for four years in that time period so I was really oh, focused on yeah I was focused okay. on wrestling and grappling and and yeah. you know I did dabbled in a little submission fighting stuff um you know in Cleveland and Chicago so kind of like 
doing some other things um, at getting that time. Your, getting your aggression out. Yeah, and, you know, and um, wasn't real focused on running at the time and had some great rests. I mean, we had two state championship teams and all kinds of fun stuff. So, um, you know, that was a good time. Uh, you're looking at your microphone. No, Is you, it still working? Yeah, it's working. Okay. You just keep going. Keep going. Um, so... Uh, yeah, don't you worry about me. Don't worry about you. Um, so it's your episode, not mine. Well, no, it's your <laughs> show. Uh, so I have to make sure that you're good. I'm doing um, all right. Um, so uh, you know, I wasn't. I just wasn't super focused on running. Yeah. At that time, and and um, the only time I did run is like like I was saying is if somebody threw down the gauntlet and was like, you know, like you can't run as fast as me, so come and run this race, and I'd be like, okay, I'm doing that, and. So I didn't train. I didn't do anything. You know, I remember when I was at MCC, I took a, phys a physiology course, and the the um, they'd put you on a treadmill in the gym, you know, and they'd be like, run on the treadmill, and I drop like a, you know, a 5k on the treadmill in like, you know, 1740 or something. <laughs> Not the, running. And the guy would be like, are you kidding me? I'm like, no. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can run fast when I need to, you know, which is still a lot slower than what I was running in college. But, right. um, you know, you just weren't you just weren't doing it regularly. Yeah, no. And I think I had fitness. Mm -hmm. I just didn't have, you know, I wasn't run focused. Right. So what brought you back into that? James Brennan and oven door runners and yeah, just yeah. doing it more regularly? Well, I think the other thing um, is that. You know, I started thinking in terms of triathlon because James was um, getting into triathlon at the time. He was doing like Survivor of Shawan Donks or whatever it's called. I can't say that word. And, um, and Shawanagunk. Yeah, whatever it is. It's a, it's a word from the Catskill region that I can't you know, say. Like half the other words there. Swan Donks is fine Swan, too. Swan <laughs> Shalong. I don't know. Shlong Donks. Shlong Donks. Shwang Donks. Yes. All right. So, um, you know, he was getting into that stuff, and um, I had a bicycle because um, before marrying my wife, my in-laws said I had to sell my motorcycle. I had a, a Kawasaki Vulcan 750 at the time. She said, you can't, you can't marry my daughter and have that bike. So I sold the motorcycle and bought my first bicycle. This was before I met James, and so I was cycling here and there. Were the values equivalent? Equivalent, <laughs> yes. Twenty. I think I sold the bike for like 20 500 and bought a bicycle for 2400 So you had some partying money. Yeah. <laughs> some walking around Towners, money. Towners, which is now closed. Yeah, um, bummer. So I was living up on off a of university at the time, so that's the only bike shop I knew. I lived uh, I lived right there, too. I lived on Buckingham. Oh, nice. And I lived on Granger. Oh, cool. Both of those. Yep, things. I was East Boulevard on that wide one with the Frank Lloyd Wright house. Yeah. Um, I like how you did that. Frank yeah. Lloyd well, right. I was about to slur it, <laughs> so I was worried, so I had to correct myself. You, you, on um, the spot, preemptively correct. Yes, yourself. I heard That's it. Nice. I heard it about to go off track. <laughs> um, so, uh, and you know, I, I, I was working out at um, the gym there across from the new Wegmans. It was World's Gym, where the bodybuilders, you know, go. And uh, I'd run down there from East Boulevard and run back. That was the extent of my running. You know, like I'd run down there and run back. That was it. But I was cycling, you know, for a couple of years there before I started back to running. Yeah. And so, but James, you got into it with oven door runners. You got back in through a group, basically. Correct. Yep. Yeah. And, the you know, fire. ever since then, I've had a lot of good friends come out of there. Some of them, um, uh, even that you mentioned a couple of podcasts ago, was Jen Malik, um, is yeah. a close friend of mine. Um, a lot of people... Yeah. 
met Phil um, there. A lot of people I met there. Met him in races and there. Yeah. He wasn't he wasn't regularly training there, but he would show up now and then kind of like Phil does. Yeah, it seems like I'm collecting like your group of friends. Yeah. You know, Jen Malik's been on, Phil's been on yep. twice. Yeah. You know, now you're there. Uh you just gotta collect uh collect them all. Like yeah, Pokemon. I think it's a different group that maybe you haven't tapped yet. You know oh, yeah. another guy um who uh, we'll talk about at some point is Bill Bula, um has also done a lot of interesting races. Right. Yep. So as you're as you're getting back into it, um, are you learning uh, that you love running, or are you sort of just like running as a just now a thing you're doing? Um, I I did it more for the camaraderie. Yeah, I think. Um, although I like the competition aspect, what I learned when I came back to running um, before my first major injury, and that's one thing about Mitch Ball and running, if you could put two things together, uh, is that I get injured way too much because, um, you know, I probably run harder than my body wants me to. You know, like right. I push myself probably a lot harder than I should. Right. So, um, you know, I learned that I was a, a pretty strong runner. You know, I, the first really kind of like race thing I entered was the Dirt Cheap Trail Race Series, and I think I placed second in it um, in the first time I attempted it. And right. I did beat Phil. Yeah. I did beat Phil. Well, we got that on yeah, the put record. That on, put that on the tape. <laughs> you know, Phil didn't brag so much about beating you. Well, it? that's because him and I have a great, um, <laughs> we have a great rivalry. Uh, we, we do this run every year, uh, me and, and um, a bunch of the ODR people, and we invite um, Phil. Phil comes, usually, um, and he's having some issues right now, so he's not, he, didn't, he wasn't able to this year. Um, and we run from Genesee Valley Park all the way up to the lighthouse and we call it the lighthouse run um up at charlotte beach and we run we like run through the old subway abandoned subway wow. there is a way into it still um and we like do a whole we run up brown's race and up past genesee brewery and along the that's a hell of a run river yeah this year we went over to one of the um, lower falls area you know kind of hiked into there but it's a fun run and um this year um, Jen texted Phil, uh, Phil, are you going to come run? And, um, he wrote back only if Mitch is running. So, um, because we <laughs> do a sprint race at the end, right. Um, that we always like, got to see on. who can yeah. outkick, who can outkick the other yeah, one. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. So the, uh, the idea that you're finding a group now yeah. and these people are running regularly yeah. and you got a bike. You getting competitive again? Like, is that, is that um, how does that happen? How do you get back into? Uh, you really want to start racing and running? Uh, was it your bike, and is that how you jumped into Ironman? No, I I think it. So I met a guy there named Joe Jaffe, who, um, you know, uh, tragic. He didn't die, but he got hit by a car last week um, on his bicycle. Oh, no. just, he's he's quite a character. Um, he was here for a very long time. He was getting ready to do like five Ironman in five days or something. He's like really out there, um, kind of like wait, athlete. but now like like today? last week he got hit by a car in Florida training, and uh. you know had you know a lot of a lot of he was in the ICU and had some issues and he's a he's an anesthesiologist so you know he knows the medical world and uh, he's he's pretty banged up saw some pictures of him but he um, he said to me Mitch uh, you should do an Ironman and I'm like hmm, sure, <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I'm like. So I signed up for an Ironman, um, like, this, the year after my running, just coming back to running, and uh, I tore my meniscus in the 
in the um, you know early part of the year, and within five months I was doing an Ironman, but I had never run a marathon, and so like that's how I kind of my first endeavor into like longer distance events was doing Ironman and and triathlons. I was really into triathlons at one point where to me before that when I heard people were doing triathlons I was I was like those people are bad people like I was thinking to myself like they're like next level like a triathlon that's like next level and then here I am doing triathlons and to me it's like yeah it's really not so bad so how'd you train for the triathlon I mean you got the bike so you can do some of that you got oven door runners yeah. and some friends that are like splintering off and doing your big training yeah you got to swim too, right? Yeah, so, so. I swim in the, uh, I live in Brighton, so I'd swim in the Brighton pool. I'd swim at the JCC. Um, I'd swim in Deep Pond and Menden Ponds. I go down to Kershaw and swim down there. I also developed a whole family of, you know, triathletes as well, like Matt Kelman and Tim Dwyer and Dan Giblin and those, you know, that crew who's, you know, a run, a older running crew in Rochester. Don't know if you know any of those names, but. Yeah. Um, you know, those, I trained with them, you know, and, uh, um, you know, it was great. I, 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 um, Matt Phillips is a great guy too. I bike with him regularly. So I just had like biking friends. I had running friends. I'd run, um, I'd run like 20 miles on Saturday and then bike a hundred on Sunday. So this is like pre-kids. Once you have kids, this all goes away. It all changes. Like, so that's why a lot of triathletes, what you see is you see really young triathletes are in their early 20s, or you see people in their 40s and 50s that are competitive, and those are people who had kids young. Right. Like, I didn't start having kids until my 30s. Right. And so I was able to do that in my early 30s um, and late, you know, I don't know if I was late 20s when I did my first Ironman, but, you know, I was doing a lot of half Ironman, Olympic distance, um, and I did three full Ironmen. Um, and so, you know, that was when I had the time. Right. So all of this seems like sort of, let's call it a Mitch made. Like, you, do you have structure? Do you no. have coaching? Or you just did it all the time? I just, I just like to be moving. Right. If I can. Right. And so I have to structure it around my job and my family, but... You know, I'm not really good with being coached because for me, this isn't a profession or a career. This is like my, oh, I hate to say escape, but more my therapy. You know, it's kind of like, um, you know, yeah, you brush your teeth every day, but you need to floss. This is like flossing, you know, like this is me flossing. <laughs> <laughs> not like with my hands going back and forth in the air. I can't floss. Uh, I can't do the dance move, but... You know, I, I just see it as flossing. Okay. I get it. I get it. So, so kind of like therapy or like, uh, Brussels sprouts. Yeah. Yeah. You got to keep the system healthy, you know, you can't just eat steak all day. I mean, I guess you can. Some people try it. (laughs) Some people do. Right. Yeah. I don't know how it works out for them, but, um, being accosted by the fire all of a sudden. Yeah. So, uh, you know, for me. I think it was also like a challenge too. Like, it was fun to talk about with people. You know, like, it was it was not just the community I developed to like, generally like ODR for me. I do ODR because I like to go to coffee afterwards um, right. and connect with people, and I like to talk on the runs. It's the same thing with this. Is you know when you do more and more races, you'd be like, 
oh, you did Lake Placid Iron Man. I did that too in, you know, whatever year. Oh, when I did it, it was this, and when, you know, you did it, it was this and that, the other thing. So, you know, for me, it's also like a way to connect with people. Yeah. Um, and to talk about adventures and crazy things that we've done. Yeah, that's it's a good it's a good common like starting ground. Yeah, you know it's it's a nice like uh, nice route. You know you can grow up from from yeah. that. You know? Yeah, and that that's one of the things I think um, some people misunderstand. Like when you show up at a race and and you might talk about I did this race or that race or this race or that race, you're not well at least in my experience I'm not bragging about right. look at all the races I did. I'm, it's almost like concerts, right? Oh, I saw yeah. Metallica in 94. Oh, you saw him in 94? That was uh, the Black Album tour, right? Yeah, I saw him in Toronto that year. Yeah. Right? You're looking for that common experience. Oh, you ran Menden in 2012? Was that the year that it was like sleeting sideways and, you know, every, you know like that kind of thing is what you're really looking for. Yeah. You know, that, that shared experience. You were at that thing? I was at that thing. Right. You know? And that's kind of like how I... A pro that's probably how we all experience life you know we're we're a we're a uh, we're a uh, what am I trying to say we're a species that is dominated by storytelling right, right I mean yeah. for years there was no written history it was all storytelling um, for for millennia it was storytelling passed on from you know family to family uh, tribe to tribe whatever um, and now it's the same thing like we have this running tribe mm -hmm. and it's fun because when we when we run with each other, we get to tell our stories, you know. And so that's really why I love it. Um, I think about like uh, right after um, you know I I ran my most recent race, my last my most recent big race, and then um, I, I like to name drop too. Jamie Hobbs ran um, his the bear. The first thing I did is I said, Jamie, we need to get together for a run because I wanted to hear a story. Right. You know, I wanted to hear a story about what is this race. I look it up online. Internet's fantastic. I'm looking at it. I'm like, what is this thing? Yeah. And then I want to talk about it. Right. You know, that's, I wanna... why, that's why I started the podcast because I want yeah. the story first. Yes. <laughs> that's the main reason. But also to bring it to the other people that might not know Mitch. Yeah. But then when they see Mitch, if you happen to show up at a Menden trail run and, you're, oh, you're Mitch. Did yeah. you do, you know, yep. like you ran Leadville. 2816, right? Yeah, yeah. 2816. Yeah. Did 19, but we'll go with 16. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Give me those three minutes. <laughs> hey, you know, that was the last P before the finish line. You yeah. just got back. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's a lot of P's. <laughs> it set me back. But, but it's that idea, right? And that yeah. starts the story. That's the seed, you know, or I was thinking about doing it, right? Yes. Now all of a sudden there's a resource. It's right. not just a story, but now it's a resource, yeah. you know, so... And it's always like a little seed that yeah. gets you there, you know, like yeah. something, you know, like, um, so I think it was 2015 um, with a bunch of the ODR people and um, I'll say his name one more, Phil, uh, <laughs> but John, John was there and James were there and my friend Matt, who um, he's got a lot of great stories. Um, and Tom Regan um, did Rim to Rim to Rim in the Grand Canyon and it came off of, and now everybody seems to be doing it, um, but at that time everybody wasn't doing it. And it came off of an article in the DNC about somebody who had run it. And I was like, that, that's not real. That's not human. So it's like these little seeds that get dropped and you hear yeah. about these things that people have done. And then you're like, I want to do that. Right, that like the great, really the great Range is like one of those, right? Yeah. Where yep. you hear somebody did the Great Range. How many mountains? 
Yeah. How many hours? Yeah. I, wanna, I should go try that. I know those mountains. I've been around those mountains. I would challenge you not to do it in early June, though, because <laughs> I promise you, you will come out of it with torn up legs. Right. Yeah. I, when I did it, I was solo. Um, and I was punching through um, rotten snow. So it, what happens is, is on those trails, um, water will come down the trail underneath of the snow and dome out four, five, six feet of snow. And as you're going up the trail, you'll punch through the snow in weak spots. And then you're just hitting rocks and tearing your legs up. Nice. So do it, but do it when it's um, not in early June. Well, don't do it on late June because then you got your black flies. That's true. Right? But if so. you move fast enough, you'll be fine. <laughs> Can't outrun a black fly. These things are the worst. The worst. All right. So um, what else do we need to cover before we dig into Leadville? Um, I don't know. Probably nothing. Um, just right. that, you know, if you were to, if you're trying to get an idea of who I am as a runner, is more than anything um, now, I just like to do adventure running. You know, like, um, Mort's been great because he gives me lots of good ideas, but, you know, doing the Pemi Loop or, you know, the Presidential um, Range or, um, again, the Great Range Traverse. I, I like to go and do things. This past weekend I hit um, four high peaks um, because I saw online somebody had done this loop and I wanted to do the loop, and so it was 18 miles. And, you know, I just like to um, look for things to do if they're close. Um, I go and do them. If they're further away, I got to make a plan. Right. You know, like some of the stuff out west, you know, takes um, more planning. But, you know, I'm seeing all kinds of things. I have some things I'm thinking about for the future, too, which yeah. I know you said we'll get to at yeah. some point. So you told me that uh, Leadville was like your bucket race, your yep. great your great big goal way off in the distance. Yep. How did that, how did, how did it become that? Why is that your... Why was that a bucket race for you? It just seemed mythical. You know, I don't know how else to put it, um, is that it seemed like something that was unfathomable. You know, I had, um, you know, a number of my friends were doing 100 milers, and all along I'm like, I'm going to have to do a 100 miler to step into Leadville. Um, and that's really not how it worked out. Um, uh, I, you know, I saw it as a race that, you know, I probably wouldn't finish if I did start it because it just seems so outrageous to me. I mean, you're running at, you know, 10,000 plus feet the whole time pretty much, um, up to 13,000 feet. And so it's at altitude, it's, you know, um, it's a lot of climbing and, you know, I just saw it as something kind of out there. It has a low finish rate. Um, so, you know, I just... It just seemed like something totally cool and gnarly. And I don't like heat, so I never thought about doing anything in Death Valley or anything. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, when I did Louisville, it was 100 degrees and it was a miserable day. Um, I don't like anything too hot, and I knew that um, Leadville's temperatures were okay. Um, and so, you know, it's just something I always wanted to do. Had you been out west before that? Um, I had never been to Colorado. So it was my first adventure to Colorado, but I had been you know, to Utah and Arizona and out, out that way. Okay. Doing different stuff. Hey, everyone. Your local friendly podcaster here. Just uh, popping in as uh, this part of the recording was a uh, natural place for a break, but uh, Mitch and I don't know how to give ourselves a clean edit point. So uh, I just want to 
thank everyone again for uh, support and listening to this here little podcast. I hope the uh, season is treating you well. And I hope you are treating others well this season. And I hope you're enjoying this outdoor uh, dynamic with these new microphones. Pretty sure we recorded on the windiest night in November. But uh, okay, anyways, back to it. All right. So where we left off was we were talking about um, we were talking about how it got to be this thing yes. that you aspired to. Yep. And you hadn't been out there much. Nope. Um, but it just seemed this unattainable goal. Yeah. All right. So so how did how did you what was the thing that went snap? I'm gonna go for Leadville. How did you work up to it? Was it long? Was it short? It was very short. It was um, my friend, Matt Sacconi, who originally is from Brighton, lives in New York City. Uh, I kind of hooked him into running and athleticism. Ooh, that's a lot of wind, a lot of leaves. It seems at every inflection point, we yeah. have a big windstorm. It's fun. <laughs> Whenever um, we're about to dig into a topic, it's stoking the up. fire very nicely, <laughs> literally and figuratively. Um, so... Um, uh, so Matt, um, I got him into kind of running. He, he did rim to rim to rim with me. Um, and he hadn't ever run over 20 miles, um, when he did it, you know, and it's a, we did 45, 49 miles, something like that. And so, um, you know, he, uh, since then he's done right across America and just all kinds of crazy races and events, um, all over the place. And so he sent me a message saying like, Hey, I think I'm going to sign up for Leadville. And I said, wait, Matt, that's my, like, that's like my bucket list. Number one race I'd ever want to do or compete in. Uh, even though it seems so far fetched, uh, like a, a pipe dream. Uh, and he's like, I'm doing this. I'm like, and, and I sent him that and he sent me back. You should sign up with me. And I said, okay. <laughs> and I'm like, that seems crazy. Cause it was like January and the race is in August. It's like well, August 21st. And Leadville has a lottery. Yes. So I signed up for the lottery with him. Both signed up. Neither of us got in. Okay. Um, and so, um, you know, we immediately pivoted and uh, signed up for the um, uh, Lifetime Foundation. Uh, you, you donate, you get in. You know, right. you get yeah. donations. So we had to raise $2,200 for Lifetime. And then we were in. It's also a good cause for, you know, um, K-12 education. Yeah. Um, they do a lot with the uh, school nutrition stuff. And I'm involved in K-12 ed. So, you know, that's in school nutrition. You know, that's one of the things I'm involved in in K-12. Um, and so, um, you know, I thought it was a good thing to be doing as well out of the foundations that were available. Lifetime runs Leadville. Um, so I signed up for that. Um, and they had some great resources along the way. So, you know, that's how I kind of got into it was I, it was unplanned, but it was happening. And, you know, I think I sent him a text the next day saying like, did that really just happen? Is this like, <laughs> this hasn't sunk in yet, you know? And what were you doing? What was your level of, I guess the best way to put it, what was your level of fitness? What was your activity in January when you're signing up for this? So originally, um, so this is January 2021. So originally in 2020, I had signed up for uh, Manitou's Revenge because I had unfinished business at Manitou's. I had went off course there and then um, had some significant back issues that plagued me for 
a long time, uh, back when I first did it in 2016. So I had unfinished business. I had signed up for that. It canceled um, because of COVID. And then everything else was canceled. So I was pretty much lazy through most of COVID. There was nothing, you know, like I'm, I'm one person that needs some adventure ahead of me. It doesn't have to be a race. It has to be an adventure. It has to be something on the books that I'm looking forward to. Um, it could just be like, oh, you know, uh, in June on the 23rd, me and some friends are going to go run this crazy thing in the middle of the woods. Like, there's a lot of those types of things on my list that have nothing to do with races. Um, so, you know, when he said this, I wasn't super fit. I wasn't super trained up for sure. Um, didn't have a lot of training in me. But um, I was biking a bit. Um, and so, you know, I had that kind of winter biking fitness, which isn't great biking fitness, but it's something. Um, and so, you know, that's kind of where I was at at that time. All right. And so now you're thinking, is this, is this real? We're, we're oh, legit. Yeah. We're, I got, I got uh, seven months. Yeah. It's kind of like um, when, you, you know, for those people that are parents, you know, when you first bring that kid home in the car and you're like, wait a minute. There's a human being in the vehicle with yeah. us right now. I couldn't believe they let me leave with two yes. of them. Out of oh, the that's They're crazy. Like, that, well, after after they they sliced my wife open and yanked them out. Oh, sure. They sent me to the room with both of them by yeah. myself. Yeah. And I here I am sitting there. I'm like, huh. All right. Guess we'll figure this out. That was Leadville. <laughs> <laughs> somebody sliced somebody open and Leadville fell out. <laughs> yeah. um, and now you're like, I guess I got to deal with this. Yes. And so now I need to figure this out. And again, I'm, you know, I don't know if it's again, I don't know if we talked about this, but I'm not like, I don't have a coach and I don't, yeah. I just kind of do things, you know, based on how I'm feeling. Yeah. You know, my, most of my training efforts are based on how I'm feeling, not on, and, you know, if I feel like today's going to be a 20-mile day, it's a 20-mile day. If it's a three-mile day, it's a three-mile day. But those that know you would say you're often feeling intense. So there's uh, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When we do run and it's with somebody I haven't seen in a while and yeah. I know that they're a competitive athlete, then, you know, there is a little bit of like, okay, let's run fast. Yeah, you're, you're always feeling intense. It's a matter of if it's structured or not. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So... Do you do, do you like go back into all of your recreational reading and do you do things like, I should do hills, I should do speed work, I should get my VO2 max up, I should go to altitude. Do you do any of that? So a, a, a lot of things start running through my head, but really what I start doing immediately is like, and, and I'm just maybe realizing this a little more now about my behavior pattern, is that the first thing I do is try and start collecting information. You know, I, I collect information. Um, and so what I do is I immediately go online and start looking up, you know, every single YouTube video that was ever made of Leadville. I, I look at the race course information, uh, even though I had seen lots of Leadville stuff. Like now I'm really like, okay, this is a real thing. I need to figure it out. I start searching out people who have done Leadville or people who have run at elevation, um, you know, I know Dan Ostrander, uh, you yeah. know, uh, had a strong Leadville attempt, got to mile 62 um, before he um, unfortunately was swept um, off the course yeah. based on time. But he um, got over Hope Pass. But he had so. been out. It's, a, yeah. it's an out and back. He had been out and, and had made the turn. So he had seen the whole course. Yeah. And he knew a lot about it. So I started reaching out to him being like, damn. <laughs> talk to me about Leadville um, and so like he's the only one from Rochester I still don't know anybody else who's 
even told the line at Leadville in Rochester. He's the only one I knew, so I was reaching out to him. But then, you know, through Lifetime, there were a couple of people who had done, um, who had been on the course too, and so they, <coughs> sorry, they maybe didn't finish the race or start the race, but they knew the course, you know. So I'm just collecting information in the beginning, but also realizing I need to start working my mileage up, and. Um, I kind of looked towards some of my other friends who had done 100 milers like James Brennan. Um, he did Vermont. Um, Phil had, I had paced him at uh, Mighty Mosquito 99. Um, I think that's the name of the race, right? Yeah. Um, and so that was like the fall before that. So I was talking to some people. Jen um, had done 100. So I was, uh, uh, Jamie Hobbs, I, I talked to him. I think I talked to Mike. I talked to a bunch of people, whether text or in person about kind of like what it is to run 100 miles. Uh, it seemed completely insane to me. But um, just kind of collecting that information to learn, like, what are some things you did? It was weird because um, most of the feedback I got was very, just very vague. Um, kind of like, you know, you just kind of do it. Uh, yeah. You know, <laughs> you, and, I mean, and you don't know what's going to work because it can all fall apart out there. And, you know, what yeah. might work for me might not work for you. So I got this new baby. What do you do? Yeah. Well, you just feed it once in a while, change it once in a while, and yeah, hope I mean, for the best. The answer is kind of like every baby's different, <laughs> which is what people do say. It's like, yeah. thanks for the manual on how to run 100 miles. Every 100 like miler's different. Every 100 miler's different. Every runner's different. Yeah. And what their needs are. And how I they... thought, I've thought that I should often go through the podcast episodes and tag with like the distances that we talked about the most. Yeah. But nobody looks at the website, so it wouldn't matter so much. Yeah. But like you could go out there and click the hundred miler label and see every episode where somebody's mentioned. Oh, yeah, the that miler. would be great. You know, that would be fun. But there the people that you mentioned, um, one of the great one of the things I love about trail running, again, we talk about the stories. All those people you reached out to, they didn't say, Oh, just run six fifteens for an amount of miles and yeah. you hit your goal. Right. That's not, that's not the formula. Yep. You know, the formula is not, um, okay, well you want to run 24 hours. So that's 15 minute miles. Mm -hmm. Just go. Yep. Like they, that's not, that's not the answer. Yeah. You know, that's right. And so, so when I first went into it, I was thinking like, okay, um, you know, I'm, I can be a decent athlete if I'm fit enough. Right. So I was thinking to myself, if I can run like around 20 hours on top 10, 15 people, like that's where my mind was at the start, <laughs> like thinking I could do that. And, and, um, so like I, I, I structured my training in that way, you know, like, uh, I, my peak before, so I'm going to get to an injury, you know, a okay. problem that set me back. Um, We're not even at the start line yet. No. Before, All right. Settle before, up folks. Well, everybody knows that. Every, everybody who does any amount of running knows mm -hmm. that the stories aren't aren't usually in the racing. It's everything leading up to the yes. racing. And that's where all the work is and all the yes. pain and all the If you get to the race, the it's time to party. Yes, the race is the <laughs> celebration of all the work you've done. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, coming into the race, I... Um, you were first planning I had on running 20 hours. What's that? You were planning on yeah. running 20 hours. And then I had um, an issue with um, my left foot, which has an ongoing neuroma. I've had it for many years. It really is what kind of slowed me down um, a little bit. Um, and so had that issue for years. I wear inserts, two different types of inserts for it. 
um, and that's what allows me to run or else it gets inflamed and I can't, I can't run. And so that got inflamed a little early on in the training block that I kind of created um, very loosely. I guess I would say, with a <laughs> yeah. spreadsheet. Copious um, air quotes coming from over yes, there. Yes, <laughs> lots of air quotes. Um, and so I uh, created this training, this little training plan, and my neuroma um, flared up. And then Mike Weldon said to me, um, he said, you need to go see Jim Molowski out in Buffalo. Yep. Um, and Old so, Jim. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever talked to yep. him. Oh, on I the, know. I'm a big fan of Jim. Big yeah. fan. And I went out and saw him, and he, like, all of a sudden my – with these exercises you gave me, my neuroma pain like went away and I was back training. And so my goal was to get to 70 miles, um, 70 miles of training per week for six weeks. That was my, that was like my plan. That was a big plan. Um, and you know, That's I stepped training block and I stepped into it really probably too quickly. Um, but then I also made the mistake of doing, um, three hard workouts in a row, um, in the same week. Um, just because one day I did like a five by 1000, um, because I do think that, you know, speed work is very important to running distance fast because I, again, I had a, a an A kind of like goal to run really fast here. And at this time, my only fear was acclimatization. Like I was spending a lot of time doing research on that thinking about altitude tents and flying out there a couple times before the race. Um, and you know, like I was super scared of of acclimatization. Um, and so, um, I, uh, did these workouts, uh, five by 1000 one day really quick. Um, then the next day I was in, um, Long Island for a wedding and I ran, um, I was, I saw these crowns, CRs on Strava and I'm like, I gotta go get them. And I went and got them and I did like six, five, six miles overall at like six under six thirty pace. And then the next day, um, I did like a Peloton workout with my wife that was like lower body and squats and stuff and, and dips. And, uh, then I, um, got onto, um, the treadmill and ran three miles at like 620 pace, even though I had felt a pop while I was doing that Peloton workout, that was a huge mistake. And I should have taken that whole day off, um, because the next day I woke up and my knees were just killing me especially especially my right knee and so um you know i i uh toned it down i took three days off i ran again and and my my right knee was super killing me my left knee was hurting a little and i'm like something's not right here um and i got worried that it was like um, um meniscus again because i had damaged meniscuses before um and so is it menisci or meniscuses it's got to be meniscuses. Meniscus. Meniscus. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so uh, I, I then um, started scheduling appointments like immediately because I was, I don't know, I was probably like two months out of the race at that point. Um, and so this was right when I was ready to hit that block and then I was going to taper for two, three weeks. Right. Um, and now and, you don't have a knee. Yeah. And so um, I... Uh, I immediately schedule um, appointments with Catherine Rizzoni up at U of R. She's fantastic. Uh, and um, I got uh, x-rays, um, ultrasound, and MRIs. And after, you know, I think I was about three weeks out of the race, she, you know, she looked at them and she said, it's patellar tendonitis. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? She's like, you can run the race. And just going like, to hurt a bunch. Yeah, she said, it's going to hurt. But you can yeah, run. It's just. And so, meanwhile, I'd been month. shut down 
for all of that time. I had like shut down my running. So much for your big running block. Yeah, there was no running block. Um, there was no, I did get up to six, 70 miles in a week. You know, so I had like some, and I was jumping too fast. I was like 40, then 50, then 60, right. then 70. So did like, you have, did at that time, I mean, you still got your family, right? Yeah. And you still got all that and you still got your job. Yep. So instead of training, you're going to doctor's appointments. Right, yep. Was that frustrating? Oh my God, yes. <laughs> of course it is. I mean, I mean it's a dumb question. Because, I have to ask the question well, though, because you, the way you, the way you talk is like, and, and it, you know, from knowing you a bit, it is the way you just do the thing that needs to be done. Yeah. You there gotta, is, there is nothing to be done about it other than the doing. Yeah. Right. So like, as you're talking about, well, yeah, I had to go, I had to get all these tests. I had to do all these things. And you do that, but there, there's challenges involved in it along the way. Like I just, having a leaf in your beer. Well, you know, <laughs> it's a, it is, it, it got pretty brisk out here for a minute yeah. or two. Uh, yeah, but there's things like during that time, you're also, you're dealing a little bit with this internally, right? A little? Oh, no, it was more than a little. I was feeling pretty, uh, I don't know what the word is. I was feeling pretty down. You know, I was feeling pretty, pretty frustrated, um, you know, thinking that I was out of the race. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where I was at. I thought I was done. You know, I thought my race, my race dreams were over. Right, your big one. Yeah, and I had already invested a lot of money in flights and all of this stuff yeah. for my crew pacers and all that stuff. So, right. like, you know, there was some financial investment. There was time investment. There was, you know, all those um, hopes and dreams of Leadville right. uh, that felt a little dashed <laughs> at is. that And time. she just tells you, well, it's just going to hurt a little bit more than you thought it would. Yeah. She said, go ahead. You can do what you need to do. Um, and so she said, you're not going to make it any worse. Right. You know, and so... Um, you know, I got back to work. I, um, you know, we uh, family went up to the KOA in Wilmington, and I ran uh, like a 13-plus miler um, up in um, Whiteface and Esther Mountain. You know, doing 5,000 yeah. feet of climbing, and you know, kind of run run hike in that 13 and a half miles, something like three hours or something. So, you know, but the the challenge of that one is I got really bad heat stroke um, when I was at. It was like. 90 degrees and super humid, and I ended up in the back of an ambulance, so that was a bad sign. Wait, so, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hold, please. Okay, so we're a couple of weeks out from the race. Yeah, uh, three, you, I think. You get a whole bunch of tests. Yeah. They tell you, go ahead, give it a whirl. Yeah. So you go right out and get heat stroke. Well, the only way I'm going to get to 100 is to start working very quickly. <laughs> well, right. So now you got heat stroke, you're back in the ambulance, and you're three weeks away from a 100-miler. Yep. All right. And you're feeling... The best part was is that I bushwhacked down the ski slopes. That was an adventure because right. I knew I needed to get down off of that mountain. I was feeling right. dizzy right. on top from the and heat stroke. No I was good. Never, right. that, that's never happened to me. It was not a good feeling. Right. How's uh, how's your your family feeling all right about this, or do they think old dad's off the reservation at this point? Like, um, no, actually, my family um consistently says this is typical Mitch. Uh, this is pretty <laughs> much what he does, just things that don't make sense. All right. Um, I don't live in the, yeah. I don't live in a realm where um, you know, I follow the typical uh, paradigm. Yeah. Of, uh, thinking <laughs> that's fine that's fine i mean a lot of people uh we said everybody's different yep everybody's different that's right all right 
Um, so you did that uh, five, 5K vert, and you're feeling like uh, the, the mountains of New York got you ready <laughs> for kind out of. west? I mean, I got up to almost 5,000 right. feet for a few minutes. We finally, I think we're, I think we're going to hit the starting line. Yeah. Like, you think so, we can do that? Um, yeah, we can do that. I will say that, um, you know, the uh, flew out to Denver like uh, the Thursday before. So if you're wondering about Leadville, um, that was good for me. I hear it's not good for everybody from a climatization perspective, getting out a little early. I also did a solid hike the weekend before, um, climbed the, uh, the highest peak in the Rockies, Mount Elbert. Uh, which was like 5,000 feet of climbing and mm -hmm. 12 miles, um, which I also did because I thought to myself, you know, I don't think Leadville's going to work out necessarily, so um, I might as well do something while I'm in Colorado. Get my mountain views now, yeah. right? Yeah, and right. so, um, you know, I did do that the week before, and then the Thursday before I had a really bad um, three-mile run, uh, I couldn't run, you know, without feeling a lot of pain, um, and I didn't, I was like, geez, this is going to get interesting. Uh, went to, um, so Denver's at 5,000, went to Leadville on Thursday night um, and spent, you know, two nights essentially um, at higher elevation. So at that, you know, 9,000, 9, 9,500 height. Okay. Um, yeah. And then um, the race was 4 a.m. Uh, Saturday. So, um, you know, got up at 12.30, woke up at 12.30 after taking some melatonin at 7, which knocked me out, 7 p.m. Uh, got up at 12.30 and uh, got ready for the race and was at the race at, race line at 4 a.m. And everything went great after that. The well, end. I finished the race. Um, <laughs> the end. Yeah. Um, all right. So do you, are you... Um, typically a race jitters person i mean you slept for five hours but you woke up at a, a pretty much as soon as race day started you woke up yeah so are you a nervous race day person or was it just leadville so i actually have more i wasn't really that nervous about leadville um as much as probably a lot of other races so what's interesting what's nice about leadville is there's a lot out there like you can learn a lot about leadville before going mm -hmm. to leadville although it's still like like a lot of unknown going into it. Um, you can learn a lot about the course. And not only that, um, I would say that I knew that my fitness was such that it wasn't like a competition anymore with mm -hmm. like racing. It was more of like a mental challenge for myself. So I was going there with Mateo and he kept saying before the race on um, something Lance Armstrong used to say to his competitors, I'll see you in the douches which means I'll see you in the showers at the end of the race because you're going to come in so far after me. Yeah. So he was picking on me a lot. Yeah. And this is a guy who runs probably in the 230s for marathons and stuff. You right. Know? And so he was picking on me a lot, and I kept saying to him, Matt, I'm not racing you. This is a race for myself. Right. Um, I just want to finish the thing. I want to try and finish this thing. And so, um, you know, coming to the start line, I didn't – it was it – was, I would say it was less stressful because I just knew. And, I, and the other thing I did to prepare myself for it was I turned it from, it was, it was no longer as much of a physical challenge for me as it was a mental challenge. Right. And so for me, it was just about um, putting one foot in front of the other. Um, I, I wanted to um, kind of dive into that mental world. So I read um, You Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins like the month before the race. <laughs> and really like, 
I wrote some of his slogans on my arm. Wow, okay. Like, to remind me. You so know, you're a gogglehead, huh? Oh, yeah, I am a little bit. Like, <laughs> nice. uh, Taking Souls and uh, Callous nice. Mind and all that stuff. So, nice. um, you know, I knew that it was more going to be a mental battle with myself to keep moving forward. And I changed my mindset about just what this race was. And it really, to me, was like, you have 30 hours and your only goal is just to keep moving forward. Um, you know, one of my favorite slogans is, uh, or things to say is, how do you eat an elephant? And the answer is one bite at a time. Yeah. So just keep taking those small steps forward. And I, I, I was telling people, this isn't going to be a race. Like they're going to say like, how fast are you going to run this thing? It's not how fast I'm going to run. It's how fast am I going to shuffle? Well, and it's <laughs> different, but that's different for you. Yeah. Right. Like that's yeah. a, that it, it sounds like, uh, a flip of a switch like mm -hmm. but that's a different approach for you you're right. not you're not a can't do i think i'm going to be able to do this person you're a i'm going to go do this yeah that's different you know yeah. so you started out as i'm going to go do it and yep. 20 hours and giddy up yep but now it's a it's a different yeah it's more of like you know can i win this mental battle yeah you know, is all is what it turned into for me versus like, can I handle the physical challenge? Yeah. You know, it's it turned into more of just a, a mental right. game for myself. So Leadville is one of the larger in terms of entrance uh, mm -hmm. races. When we think of like out west and rugged trail races, Leadville's big. Mm -hmm. Lots of people. Yeah, I think 700 ish. Did, yeah. Did you feel like that big race vibe or did it feel like a small race vibe at the start mm, that's a great question yeah i would say it felt didn't feel like a big race vibe yeah. um for a trail race it was a big race vibe but i've run boston a lot of times that's a, i mean or yeah. philly or something like yeah it doesn't get bigger than those those are like insanely yeah. big so like from us you know i guess i don't think about the crowd as much yeah. i will say that unlike other races like typically I try and get right to the front because I want to get out fast and run fast with people. Um, and this one I was, you know, I just settled in somewhere in the middle and said, I'm cool. <laughs> but don't, well, so I've, I've run uh, New York City and, yep. and Philly. Mm -hmm. And New York City, it's so big that you, you're just numb to yeah. how big it is. It doesn't yeah. actually feel like a big race because right. you lose that big race feeling yeah. as soon as you're there. You're like, whatever, this is like nothing I've ever seen. You're, you're not thinking how big it is because you, you just can't. Yeah, I don't think um, I was focused on the size. I was focused yeah. on how surreal it was to right. be standing at the start line of Leadville. Right. That's what I was getting. Like, that was are just you, surreal. Are you looking at, like, all these people around me? Or are you yeah. like, hey, there's only five of us? Or, like, you know, what was your thing? And you're like, I'm finally here. Yes, I'm finally here, and it's super surreal. It's it's not real. And And there's, like, a whole bunch of other people I'm looking around at, and I'm like, all of these knuckleheads are as crazy as I am. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> They're like, yeah. I'm going to go run 100 miles yeah. at elevation right. uh, in the Rockies. And you said, like, you, uh, not starting at the front and starting more in the middle. Yeah. But um, with trail races and with, like, some of that terrain and stuff, that's, uh, that's the conga lines, right? Yeah. Like, there's some of that. Well, that's the problem with Leadville, and so now we can kind of get to the race start, right? Mm -hmm. Is yeah, that sure. um, if you if you start in the middle of pack, it's it, it was a problem for me, but it probably isn't a problem for a lot of people. Is that if you start there, 
you're log jammed. Yeah. You know, and so, um, you know, when, so we start the race. Uh, one of the most interesting things I saw was that um, right within the first mile, there's this guy who keeps stopping over to puke and his buddy rubbing his back. Like he just kept throwing up. I don't know if he had nerves or what, but I'm not used to seeing somebody throwing up so many times within a mile of a hundred mile race. <laughs> well, I've never run a hundred mile race, but, but at the start, but at the start, um, you know, that was kind of oh. wild. I'm like, this guy's going to have a long day. Oh, uh, so wow. uh, you're going down this dirt road and I'm running with a mat um, and we were going to stick together through the first aid station. It didn't quite work out that way. Um, but I was feeling good, so I ended up kind of taking off on him after the first three or four miles. Um, and I was in a line of people, uh, met a really nice um, girl from Kansas named Gabri, and I was chatting with her because she had run it before, but she had only gotten to mile 50 before being swept. Um, and um, we were stuck in this, this line of people, and you couldn't get around anybody. So it's this like single track for 13, well not for the full 13, for like eight, nine miles. You're on the single track going up and down routes and you know, Colorado trails, which was, were still fairly new to me. They're not like running in the Adirondacks or the yeah. Catskills for sure. They're not rugged, but um, they're single track. And to the first aid station, which was May Queen, it was mostly single track. And so for me, right. that was, you know, one of the things that I would do differently if I could. So you would you would start further up. Yeah, I would have started further up, and so um, because you know, at when you're at the middle, you're three fifty out of seven hundred. Yeah. So when you come around, like you come around this lake, and I could see people like had gone all the way around the lake and were way further ahead. Oh wow! And already I was like. You know, maybe that was a good thing. Maybe it kept my pace in check. Maybe it saved you a little bit yeah. from blowing up. Yeah, but my, you know, my, my knees were only hurting minimally yeah. at that time. They didn't. I wonder, did Dan O tell you anything about that? Of like, get out, get out in front of everybody. If he did, I didn't remember, and I well, wasn't listening close enough. Well, and it's and it's relative, right? Yeah. Because like here, yeah, get out in front, because you don't want to be behind people on the climb. Yeah. Well, the climb here is a couple hundred feet. Right. Or you know. But when you think about, okay, <laughs> get out in front of people because the climb, yeah. right? It's, it's all, it's relative. Yep, absolutely. You know? Here you're, you're stopped 30 seconds and you're like chomping at the bit and you're impatient. Yeah. There it could be 30 minutes, right? Oh, well, like, it was eight or nine miles where I was in that line and I would, you get to a semi-wider station and take a big risk to kind of sprint around a couple people, but it got yeah. you nowhere because then you're behind other people moving at the same pace. Um, so like it was a kind of a futile attempt. Yeah. But the first, um, you know, I, I said there was like three low points in that race. Um, my first low point was like at mile 10 where wow. um, I had to get to 12.6. I was having some GI issues. My stomach was super off. And um, when I got to the aid station, um, that's when Matt um, passed me back for the first time. Um, I had to go right into the um, portage on and after I was done in the Portage on, I felt a heck of a lot better. <laughs> and you said, uh, take this one out of service. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you don't want to use that. Don't go in there for 35, 45, 45 minutes. minutes. Here's your Friday uh, reference. Don't go in there for 35, 45 minutes. Right. <laughs> so, um, you know, that was um, interesting. But then after that, you head out of May Queen. Um, and this whole time, we, you know, before May Queen, you're kind of running next to a lake, a beautiful lake. Um, but it's dark still. 
and um, after May Queen, you start up a, a kind of a switchback, a little bit of a switchback climb up to um, over Sugarloaf Pass um, for the first time because it's an outback. And then you go down something, the power line, and the sun was coming up at that point, or had come up. And I, I, I went hard down that power line. I was passing all kinds of people um, because it had finally opened up a Fresh little bit. Fresh air, right? Well, yeah. and not only that, but before um, you get to the top of Sugarloaf, there's like a service road. So it opens up, so you have more room to move. Mm -hmm. So I was able to get around, and then coming down, it was also very wide. But it's, a pow it's an actual power line, like telephone poles going straight down this really steep um, <sighs> hill. Um, and so, you know, I, I hammer down that thing, um, in, and then you get under this road section before you go to the um, station called Outward Bound. Mm -hmm. um, and so coming into Outward Bound, I was 23 miles in, and I'm thinking to myself, uh, holy cow, um, I'm a little bit tired. Um, I've run 23 miles, nearly a marathon, and I'm not even a fourth of the way done with this thing. What was I thinking? And was um, that, but is that so much stress about thinking of the logistics of you're behind everybody? And, yeah. You know, like, is it mental stress or were you like physically fatigued as I well? I was feeling physically fatigued at that yeah. point. But, you know, my mind was calloused. Yeah. <laughs> Ready. Hard. So um, I was going to keep moving. Um, and, uh, you know, it was just like such, it was felt like such a blessing to have been able to start the race after the issues, after being kind of so down for a period of time, just to be there. Mm -hmm. It was like, I'm here. Um, I'm probably not going to have another chance to do this for a long time, even though I was telling people that if I didn't finish the race, I was coming back next year. Right. Um, I was thinking to myself, like, this is just so great to be here. I've, I've flown people out here. You also feel a little bit of a commitment to them. Yep. Um, You've invested so much. Yeah, and, you know. and not only that, but they're here to support you. Yeah. I didn't want to let them down. Yeah. So did, um, you, did, you, did you have enough, like, long-distance experience to go, well, this is just that first low. It's just uh, the first low, and I'm good. No. No, but I had talked to lots of people about it. Yeah. Now, and, I, and let me back up. I had experienced all kinds of bonks while doing Ironman. Yeah. Um, but I would say that I never had to work through a low low. You know, I've had to work through lows, and I've come back from a few of them. But generally speaking, you know, the yeah. lows that I went through at Leadville, which, you know, we'll get to in a little bit, were not as significant in the past. You, as never, you never thought you were at the bottom in your previous things yeah, yeah right okay yeah i get that um and so then you come into this great like kind of open field section that you've seen a lot of the videos where you're running mm -hmm. through the field it was wild because there was all these like um, prairie dog holes all over the place you had to be careful not to step in those uh and then you come onto this like road section um and at that point um is where i passed matt again he said his quads were killing him um, and he didn't know um, what was going to happen to him. And I passed him. Um, and so now we're looking at like coming into an uh, aid station called Half Pipe, where I see my crew again. That was great. Um, but I was feeling okay. And then you do a climb, uh, maybe a couple thousand feet, and come back down into Twin Lakes, um, which is just like a madhouse party. Yeah, Twin Lakes is the big aid station. Oh, right? it's crazy, which yeah. is also where we were staying. So okay. I saw it when all those people weren't there, 
And it's like a town of like, it's like a population of like 18 people or something. <laughs> like literally, I have a picture of the sign. I think it says like something in the low teens um, or mid teens, you know, whatever. Um, and so it's a super tiny place. Um, and during Leadville, it's like a madhouse, like lines of tents and things. And my brother um, was up there um, with his friends, uh, maybe three hours away or some two and a half hours away. He had dr driven up, and I saw him at the start of the aid station. He ran with me for a couple of minutes, which was totally cool. Now, your your brother wasn't part of your crew. He was just no. show up there. So he who just was, showed up. Who was your crew? James Brennan, right. um, who I crewed for and paced him at Vermont, yeah. and then Bill Bula, um, okay. another um, guy yeah. that you know I do a lot of running with yep. and adventuring with. Yeah. Okay. And so, so, and then, so they're there at Twin Lakes. Your brother's there yep. at Twin Lakes. Big party. Yeah. Big party. Energy Energizing. goes up. Yeah. Energy goes up. Yeah. All even right. though I was feeling a little, like they asked me how you feeling. I said, I'm feeling a little low from an energy perspective, but from a spirit perspective, <laughs> like this is awesome. All this right. is like so a you're party. winning, you're winning the mental battle. Yeah. The now. mental battle. All right. Um, and so, uh, right after, um, Twin Lakes, I leave and I start, um, and the other thing I wanted to tell you too is that my knees, you know, because that's an ongoing um, issue, is that um, at every aid station I was like applying more and more tape. You know, I remember the Goggins stories, you had to tape everything. Well, I was doing it too. I'm like, I'm literally um, uh, rub, putting tape around my calves, around my quads, like trying to support my tendons to minimize the pain and yeah. hopefully... Um, alleviate any potential of failure um yeah you know in the future so uh you know every time i stopped i'd be like okay i need more tape more, more tape. tape like you're using hockey tape what oh kind of yeah tape that kind yeah. of yeah yep i'm using uh kt tape and hockey tape and everything i can i'm just <laughs> wrapping everything <laughs> so all right uh uh and so um after that, what, what happens is, is you do a cool river crossing. Um, you can see that in the videos usually if you watch a Leadville video on YouTube or something. Um, and then you start up Hope Pass. In Hope Pass, um, you gotta climb up um, the front side and then you gotta climb up the back side. But that's, um, those are the biggest climbs of the day. They're like thir a little over 3,500 feet or so of climbing. Um, and so start up Hope Pass, um, it's cool because when you get up to the Hope Pass aid station, that's where you see all the alpacas because they use alpacas to bring um, nutrition and stuff up. But when I get to Hope Pass, I am feeling low. And I sat on the ground there for maybe 10 minutes uh, just not feeling good at all. And that's um, typically one of the survival aid stations, right? People yeah. get through the big climb yeah. and they need to recover from that climb. Yeah. So are you, are you seeing a bunch of folks there in the same state as you? Yes. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of people there that are. And it's, I think it's mile 43 and a half. Yeah, and you're and like so, mid-pack. You're, yeah. you're not too far. Nope. You're not like chasing cutoffs at yeah, this Yeah, right point. around that time is when I saw like Anton and the leaders come flying back by me. They were maybe at, when I was at mile <laughs> well, 40, they were at mile well, 60. Well, that's cool. Yeah. So, um, and I had like a whole fanboy thing going when I saw him. Oh, come absolutely. By. So yeah. I'm like, Anton. especially, you know, now. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can see. And that you, was his first Leadville back in a long time. Yeah, you'd say you raced Anton. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, he kicked my not, ass. Not many, people, <laughs> <laughs> not many people in the last 10 years can say that, That's though. true. That's yeah, true. that's cool. Yep. And so, um, you know, I'm feeling pretty crummy. I'm looking up. I'm seeing the summit. You know, you see it in the, again, in the videos with like the 
um, prayer flags up there, the Tibetan style prayer flags. I'm like, okay, I need to get up and keep moving. I can't sit here mm -hmm. any longer. Um, and so I get up over the, um, I get up to the top of Hope Pass. I'm taking photos. That's the other thing is like, I didn't have a really intense approach to this. It was more of an experience. Although I did feel, out of all the pressure I felt, one of the biggest um, pressures I felt was that the cutoffs, and that's why Leadville, one of the reasons why Leadville, I think, has a lower finish rate is because the cutoffs are really tight um, in the first 62 miles. Is that, that's because they want to chase you off of Hope Pass, right? Yeah, like, they want to get you down and out. Yeah, get, you know. get you down to the bottom and then take as much time yeah. as you want. Which I think I was also, uh, again, Hope Pass um, and a lot of the Colorado mountains is that when you get above the tree line, it's very exposed. And so I think that's part of why I was feeling really low too is that I was energy zapped from the sun exposure. There's no, there's no clouds up there. It's just open sky. It wasn't a hot day. Mm -hmm. I think the high was like 61. Um, the lows were in the high 20s, low 30s. Um, so... You know, it wasn't a, a hot day. This is midday, though, like getting or towards the end of the day that I yeah. was in a lot of sun. And I was right. in a lot of sun earlier in the day, too, running through the fields and right. going up, you know, before Twin Lakes. So the sun can become a problem and the cutoffs are tight. Well, and you have less oxygen in the air. Right. Like, even though you're not blasting, yeah, you're still less oxygen, which ultimately, over a long time, you're going to be more tired. Yeah, they say you lose, people, lowlanders like us, lose one to two minutes per mile running up there just because you're not getting the oxygen. Yeah, and it's just going to wear you down, too, yeah. I would yeah. imagine. Without getting into the science of plasma and no, oxygen and all that. Talk, um, to, talk to somebody else about that. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> get to the top of Hope Pass, and, and the backside is super steep. It's kind of fun, and you're kind of bombing down these you know, um, cutbacks on the backside and, um, you come down and you kind of get to like some areas where it's almost flat, but you're still up, you know, and you look over and you can hear the noise from the Winfield aid station and you look over and there it is. And you're like, Oh, I'm almost there. I feel like complete garbage. I can't wait to get there. But then the trail like takes you like two miles past, oh, no. and you got to come back to it. Oh. That was that was kind of a difficult point for me. And I came into Winfield, complete mess. Before even before Winfield, I thought my race was over. I'm like, this is like the lowest I felt in a race, um, and I was definitely bonked. I was um, underhydrated. Um, not enough nutrition, feeling beat up, tired from the climbing and the downhill. Oh, the whole thing. And the downhills kill my knees. That's really what hurts my knees is yeah. the downhills. The uphills, I I'm, I'm feel good. Right. Um, so I'm moving uphill as fast as I'm moving downhill, the whole race. Um, and so um, I get in there and I just sit down on the ground. And it's very sunny and it's out in the open I, where I was sitting in Winfield. And... Um, and all, and I'm like, I'm talking to the guy there who worked for Lifetime, Nate. He was wonderful through the whole process. You know, early on when I first signed up, he was great. And he happened to be there and he's like, dude, what do you need? I'm like, I don't know, man, I am not feeling good. All of a sudden I feel this big slap on my back. And I look up and there's Matteo, Matt Sacconi grinning at me. He's like, dude, how you feeling? I'm like, not good. He's like, okay, you need to eat something and you need to drink something now. And I'm like, okay, Matt. And um, 
The other issue I was having is my feet were killing me and I had to change his shoes there. I'd picked the wrong shoes climbing Hope Pass. I picked a pair of trainer, like running trainers that had a big lift in the back. I thought it would help me climb. Um, and so my feet were like wrecked. You brought your heels to Leadville? Oh my gosh, they were um, Saucony Endorphins. They're like a yeah. road running shoe. Yeah, they're a big deal though. They're big um, shoes. Yeah, they're big in the back. Um, yeah. And so uh, a lot of junk in the trunk. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so um, he, Matt says, I'll take, um, I'll take uh, a cup, two cups of noodles for himself. Two cups of noodles, two cups of mashed potatoes, and um, what was the Gatorade um, drink they had there? Roctane. Is that? No, that's goo. I'll take three cups of Roctane um, and some water. And so Nate brings it over to him. He pounds it and he says to me, Mitch, I'm out of here. I'll see you later. I, I think you should keep running, but you need to eat something. And so I looked at, at Nate and I said, I'll take three cups of Roctane, <laughs> I'll have what he's two cups of noodles, two cups of mashed potatoes and some water. And I pound those things. And I slowly start out of the aid station. And I and really, like, it's kind of like a blur. It's like that wonky vision you get when you're, like, totally bonked and out of it. And uh, I, um, I start back up the trail. And all of a sudden, it was like a complete sea change, like a complete 180. I went from feeling like complete dread to feeling like a million bucks. And I ran into Gabri again, who I hadn't seen in a while. And I'm like, Gabri, how you feeling? She's like, I'm feeling good. I'm like, let's run. And we just started sprinting down the trail. Within like five minutes, I catch up to Mateo. I pat him on the back. He's like, what happened to you? You were like dead. I'm like, I ate what you said to eat. And I sprinted by him and uh, never looked back. Uh, I, um, I hit the climb. Uh, Gabri dropped off, and I just was. We, I probably going up over Hope Pass. I probably passed a hundred people. Wow! I'm um, just passing people left and right, running out of your shoes. Yeah, running out of my shoes. I bombed down. I'm like sprinting down Hope Pass. So, so are these your typical bomb downs, or bomb downs relative to what you've been doing the whole race? No, I'm like bombing down Hope Pass. I mean, I am passing a lot. Of, there's, I ran into this other guy who was also bombing down, and I just tried to keep him in my sights. And yeah. we were just passing people bombing downhill um, just very quickly. Just going riding the high. Yeah, riding the high for sure. And really my goal was to get back to Twin Lakes before it got dark, which I came into Twin Lakes right when it was starting to get dark. I think it was like 8.30 right. p.m. I was at mile 62 and a half, and I had, what's that, like 14 hours to do the last... 38 miles right and you're not you're not on your competitive 20 or 24 hour type thing now but you're winning the mental battle yeah so at that point i knew that if i got back so from from twin lakes to twin lakes was the hardest portion of the race for me not because of the climbing but because of how i was feeling you know and so when i got back to twin lakes and i knew that my crew was going to be there i knew i was going to finish the race right at that point 62 and a half the race was over yeah like okay. it was in the back you because you knew you had time and you definitely weren't dropping i had time and i had friends yep yep and so i knew i was going to get there and so we start up out of Twin Lakes, um, I, by the way, um, in Winfield, I had picked up um, the Hoka Mafate Evos. Okay. Those things were the best running shoes ever. That's all I'm those, gonna say. Those, those are your, your jam now, right? Yeah, those are my jam. And hmm. so I, okay. um, 
I get, um, we start up the trail and you got to do like a 2,000 foot climb maybe out of Twin Lakes. Maybe I'm exaggerating. It feels like that's what it is anyway. It could be 30,000 um, for yeah, all who I knows, know. Right, who knows. <laughs> um, and uh, James says to me, holy cow, it's hard to breathe. I'm like, yeah, I know. I've been doing this for over 60 miles. Because <laughs> <laughs> he just joined you and he's yeah, like, let's this is, go. This is his first time running up there. Yeah, yeah. He, he because of flight delays, he had just got in on like Friday morning. Right. Um, so this was his second, second day there. And I was dealing, you know, over time, I will say I did have, you know, um, some headaches and, and things dealing with altitude. Yeah. I, when I went out to Western States with Hobbs, mm -hmm. we stayed in, uh, you know, uh, Tahoe City, and we ran out the back of the house that we rented. Cool. And we did, you know, five, six miles, and it was nice. Yeah. And I, I was more tired at the end, and I yeah. was like, whew, I'm a little more tired than usual. But when we were going up the pass yeah. at the actual race at the you know because you go the day before and you scope out the climb yeah and you go up to the top i was i was halfway up and i'm like okay this is officially different yes like, when you do one of those little light runs whatever right you know you could you could you got enough cushion yeah no that up to emigrant pass was like okay I, how high is that uh, a million a million, yeah. <laughs> it's a million. It's, it's a million. It's infinity. I think uh, I think it starts at like ninety ninety two and goes up to thirteen. I yep. think is where what it what it does for that yeah. climb. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, but no, it could have been a million. I yeah, sure. It I was just like I was halfway up, and I'm like, okay, and then they're gonna do another ninety seven miles after this. Yes. You know, like, it's crazy, right? Yeah. So, but, but you're there, you're, you're acclimated. Yeah. Uh, it just took you 70 miles of the race to get acclimated, right? right? Yep, yep, yep. Now you well, get... and I was just, yeah, I mean, acclimated's one way to say it. Used to it's another. <laughs> yeah, uh, exactly. I don't know if I was acclimated, but I was acclimated. Yeah, yeah um, you're dealing. And so uh, we're running up and that's when I really started to have um, my foot problems. You know, like mm -hmm. my, my feet were just starting to kill me. And, and the good news is I looked at my feet a couple times. I had seen some people most people I'd seen, their feet get like super torn up. Um, another thing I did is from the start, I wore those in Gigi. How do you yeah, say them? In the Gigi. And I can't say it. Whatever. Yeah, the toe socks. Yeah, in toe Gigi. socks. I wore yeah. toe socks the whole time. I think that was a savior. Yeah. So keeps I, the dirt out from in between. Well, the dirt and it. I think it. You don't. Your toes don't rub as much. You don't yeah. get as many blisters. And so yeah. my feet were in good condition, but they were hurting. Like right. they were just fatigued. I didn't have the miles in. And you had, never, you had never been on time on feet that long no, either, right? Nope, yeah. had not. And so, um, you know, I'm coming down off of there, and I'm just like almost like power hiking, walking, and I get to half pipe, and I had to change my shoes again. I did five ch shoe changes over the course of the race. Okay. So, um, and so, um, and I, you found that that benefited you each time? Uh... Not every time, but sometimes it did. And so were you when doing, I changed, were you that, doing socks too? Uh, no, no, kept because those in Gingies are hard. I to never get took them off. All right, yeah, they were the same pair the whole time. But I put, I put like um, full calf socks over top of them. Oh wow! Yeah, so huh. double yep. sock actually. Yeah, I did double socks. Okay. Um, and it got cold too. So at around mile seventy, that was kind of like my second bad low point. Was like I was shivering cold. It was cold at night. And James, uh, the godsend, 
um, gave me his sweat, his shirt off his back and said, <laughs> put this on, um, you're shivering way too much. And I put that on and I felt a lot better. I got into half pipe and I got a different pair of shoes from Bill. Um, I put on my Peregrines, my Peregrine Sevens, uh, that I, uh, I had a hard time getting because they're so old now. <laughs> so old. Ordered them from Washington, uh, the state of Washington. Um, and so uh, I put those on and I felt a hundred times better and I started running like hard. I was running like, you know, 730s Jeez. Uh, for a couple of miles. And you're, you're in the mile 70s at this yeah, point? Yeah, after, somewhere after mile 70, I think. Okay. And so I so just start there's hammering. No, there's no uh, patella tendonitis going on at this no, point. No, I'm ignoring the knees because the <laughs> feet hurt so bad. <laughs> um, so the knees don't feel as bad as they did before. Um, and so I'm just hammering away. And uh, I think it's still, was it still dark? It was definitely still dark. Um, and um, I even dropped James a little. He eventually caught up when I slowed down. Um, and part of me, too, was also just kind of racing mad at that point because uh, well, yeah. he had said he was going to kick my ass. Now and, all of a sudden you're finding yourself in a different position. Yes, I'm ahead of him. Uh, and so um, I come into Outward Bound, um, and Outward Bound was a good place for me because I'm thinking to myself, I have somewhere around, you know, 23 miles left. Like, I can do this. Um, at that point, I'm like super like committed to finishing the race, um, even though my, um, you know, my feet were killing me. And so I pick up Bill Bula and I picked up Bill there because Bill is an expert at climbing. This guy has the biggest calves I've ever seen. <laughs> um, like they are seriously, I, I don't even, they're like small tree trunks. Like right. seriously, they are. Most, some people say like, oh, his quads are huge. Bill's calves are like mammoth. Was Bill once bigger in his uh, pre-athletic uh, life? Because that's, that's what I found. My calves are slightly larger because I yeah. was slightly bigger. Yeah. So I find the bigger you were before you start getting athletic, the, you know, the more well-rounded your calves are. So the calves to themselves i need to stay here just in case he bounces back yeah, i need to adapt <laughs> yes i need to be prepared because yeah. at any moment he yeah. could get back on the chicken wings uh five nights a week <laughs> i need to be ready for this yeah, yeah um, so, so so okay bill's your climber he's so bill's my climber hell. and i um so when you come out of um twin lakes there's a long road section and i didn't remember it being as long as it was going in but it was very long going back out. I was like, this is miserable, this road. Right. Um, and so then you get to the last big climb of the day, which is Powerline Pass. Which was your Which downhill. is Sugarloaf Pass, yep. Power, they call it the Powerline. Um, coming out of, um, coming into mile 80-ish, right around there. Um, we start up that thing and Bill's like, holy cow, dude, you're moving. I'm like, yeah, Bill, I move um, right now, just based on where I'm at, I move the same up as I move down as I move flat. Everything's the same pace for me at that point. Um, and I had my um, hiking sticks and I was just powering up that thing. I was on a mission. My ad was down. I was going. I was going hard. Bill later said that I was just passing people left and right. He said, nobody them. passed you. I said, I don't remember that, Yeah. but I was in a zone. And Bill was like talking to me. I'm like, Bill, I can't talk right now. So they call smelling the barn, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I definitely smelled the barn. <laughs> and I'm like, Bill, um, Bill was trying to talk to me. I'm like, Bill, I, I can't give any energy to talking right now. I just am just super focused. But sometimes forward. it's good to have somebody talking to you and just know 
if they know you're not going to talk back. Yeah, that's not the time. Yeah, yeah. that wasn't the time for me. No, nope, <laughs> nope. and you let them know. You yeah. Know, so. But I can tell you that at the bottom, I asked somebody like, "How how much further is there?" Oh, they're like, "Oh, it's just like two more switchbacks, and you're up." Because when you're climbing this thing, first of all, you can look up and it's dark, and you can see headlamps way up into the distance, right? straight up. And you go up, and then you switch back, and then you see more headlamps. And every time you get to the top, you can see another switchback with more headlamps. And this guy said there's two more switchbacks. It ended up being like seven switchbacks. It felt like it was the longest climb I've ever done in my life. It was probably 2,500 feet of climbing, but it could have been a Just gazillion. More. It's right up there. Yeah, it's like two, two switchbacks. No lie. Um, and so uh, eventually um, you get to the top, but that is just, when you get to the top of that, that feels good. Mm-hmm. And it's windy up there. It's cold, you know. And so um, I come down um, back onto that fire, you know, kind of road. And then you go into these switchbacks, which seem to take forever. I got into uh, May Queen again. And, you know, that was also kind of a difficult point for me because I was at a point when, when, I, when I got to the top of um, Sugarloaf Pass, I was at a point where I couldn't run anymore. Like, my running was done for the day. I was power hiking at that point. I was trying to move quickly as forward. The pain in my foot was so significant in my ankle that I just couldn't run anymore. There was no run in me. Right. And so um, when I got to May Queen, um, that was difficult for me only because I knew that I was going to finish, but... Damn it. It wasn't going to be fun. It was going to be long. It was going to be four hours for 13 and a half miles. And I'm thinking to myself, I've run 13 miles in, you know, under an hour and 20 minutes. And here I am, I'm going to take four hours and I'm going to have to. There's no, you just, there's the only way um, to get through this is through it, you Mm -hmm. know. And so I knew that I was going to have to um, walk in pain for four hours. Your mind was calloused. Oh, it was very, yeah. I was definitely finishing. I just didn't, I knew I was going to finish. I just wanted to be in that slice of time um, from a physics perspective. That was four hours ahead of where I was at. You didn't like what was ahead of you. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I get you. And, you know, I knew I would be there, Uh you know, in that moment of time. It just, I had to get there. Um, And so um, that period was tough because it was just very painful. And I try and, like, run a little, and I just couldn't run for more than a couple seconds. Yeah. And eventually you come back onto the road where the puking guy was, um, the dirt road. And um, James said to me, okay, let's try and run to that next pole. And I'd, you know, try, I'd, I'd kind of run at like 12-minute <laughs> pace. Felt like it was very fast. Yeah. To that next pole. And then I'd be like, after a couple times, like, James, I can't. Let's I can't, never do this again. I can't do it, James. Yeah. You know, and I felt, you know, like, but he was trying to motivate me. And it was a good thing. Um, and well, so, because if you can drop that from 20-minute miles to 12-minute miles, your four hours becomes 3.15. Oh, absolutely. You know? So, like, yeah, I get that, but at the same time, like... And it wasn't happening. He just showed up. Yeah. <laughs> and it was cool, too, to watch the sun come up, you know, yeah. over these beautiful kind of um, Colorado trails. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, eventually... Um, you know, I'm turning the corner into uh, the long straightaway into the finish line. It's not straightaway. Uh, it's a straightaway, but it's not. It's not flat. You know, it goes down and then it kind of comes up. It's a. It's a hike up a little bit. <laughs> and so um, I'm coming into uh, to the finish, and you know, I'm asking people, "Where's Matt? 
They're like, oh, he's, he's back quite a ways behind you. I'm like, okay, is he going to finish? Yeah, he's going to finish, but he's a ways behind you. Uh, what about your friend, uh, Gabri? Gabri, um, so she finished too, and yeah. I saw her finish, and I took a video, and I found her on Strava. Um, I never, I haven't asked her for her email address yet. I should, and send her the videos, but I got some videos of her finishing, which well, that's was That's cool. Great. So all three of you came through. All three of us, yeah. No, no word from the puking guy, though, huh? <laughs> no word from the puking well, guy. Well, you had GI issues in the beginning. Those seemed to have abated. And Yeah. Well, his were coming out of his mouth, and yeah. know, well, mine were coming out of somewhere else. <laughs> well, you know, you have big ears. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, um, so all right, but then... When you're when you're doing that, you're on the straightaway. Yeah. Um, do you have that ability to step away and look at what you're doing, or are you like a power through and focus on the task? Um, Were you reflecting before you finished, like be, I'm doing this? Just because I couldn't move at any pace other than what I was moving, it allowed me to reflect a little bit um, that I was at the finish line. But also, I was like probably so faded from an energy perspective. And, you know, I had put so much effort into it for so long. You know, I, I probably didn't, you know, it's kind of like bringing the kid home. You know, you're not thinking about it as much in the moment. But I definitely felt emotional. I felt like crying. I didn't cry. No. Um, I probably should have. Uh, yeah. I, if, if I could go back, I would have let myself cry yeah. <laughs> um, because I was feeling like I could. But um, at that time, those were precious, precious fluids. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I came into the finish and I dropped my poles and did a cartwheel and crossed the finish line and dropped to my knees and was super happy. And So you did a cartwheel. You had to have something left. Yeah, I wanted, I wanted to do something fun at the finish line. You know? There was a, a woman at Twisted Branch today that did cartwheels she or this year she came into the first aid station and did a cartwheel and then through every single aid station she did a cartwheel. oh cool and i was like I, and because i'm doing a time and following along i'm like i can't believe this girl's doing cartwheels in yes. every single aid station and then to cap it off she did one at the finish cool yeah i was like i mean they got less and less impressive uh-huh. in terms of form but they got more and more impressive in terms of you know the payoff yes you know so that's cool 100 miles you throw out a cartwheel well let me tell you um i've seen a video um it's not a great video of the cartwheel but i saw the cartwheel uh it felt way better than it looked. <laughs> my legs were at like a 90 degree to my torso. I was going to say, did you did more of a wagon wheel. Yeah, it was, not, it was not impressive. That's all right. I thought it was cool, though. That's how it felt. It's but the crowd felt. was happy with it, so I got a lot of cheers. <laughs> They're like, look at that guy bending down to touch the ground yes. while he walks. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's a crab walk. Yeah. Uh, no, a bear walk, whatever that's it is. That's great, bear though. And then, and then you, you uh, sat down and ate a cheeseburger, and victory was yours. Well, I had a burrito and watched a guy have a seizure after he finished the race. So, oh, no. like, he literally, like, rolls, eyes rolled back and fell over and started oh, seizing man. and had to call medics. So, I did not, I do not like that stuff at no, the finish. No, that was kind that's of scary. Sorry, but I also was like, all I could do is yell medic uh, because I wasn't getting out of that chair. Hey, you did, you did what you could. <laughs> but it was cool, you know, to get the medal and you don't get the belt buckle right away. They make you wait until the award ceremony. Um, so this was at like 8:19 in the morning um, when I finished, <laughs> and I had to wait till noon for the award ceremony because uh, the cutoff is 10 a.m. for yeah. the race. And uh, 
So I went back to the, actually first I waited for Mateo to cross. He crossed at like 29.15, like about an hour behind me. And um, he, uh, that was great to watch him finish. That was just fantastic. He was super emotional um, and it was really a, a great thing for both of us. That yeah, both cool. of us, um, we did it he had had some ankle problems, some ankle issues. So we both finished, um, Achilles I should say. Um, and so that was a big thing too because of the low finish rate to have two guys from New York. Well, um, and it's super cool that you guys got to uh, have that race with each other. Yep. You passed each other a number of times. Yeah. You brought him up. He brought you up. Like that's race prep and that's super cool. All of that too. Yeah. Yep. And so now we're talking about like what's the next? He's texting. He's texting me today. What's what's your plan? I think he signed up for the Western States um, lottery. It's like one in twenty-eight thousand get in or something. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, it's. Um, a, you know what, though? Uh, folks from New York have a good rate on first ticket entrance. Oh, okay. So, cool. uh, so you're you saying know. I should sign up for that? Well, so Hobbs got in on his first ticket. Oh, cool. He, uh, you know, that's it's a thing. Mm -hmm. um, my friend Tom Ty got in on his first ticket. Jesse Canfield got in. Olga Hubert got in oh, on their wow. first ticket. Yeah. So there's folks. There's precedent for uh, first ticket. So Western I should States. do it. I should do it. If you want in, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, well, I, I think the thing is you have to have some other precipitating life event that says this year is not a good year for me to get in. Yeah. And then you'll win the lottery and get it. Right. You know, so. Plan, well, and, and you know. if you haven't noticed, I'm the type of person mm -hmm. that will just like somebody will say to me, um, you ever think about doing this? And yeah. then I just sign up for it and then I figure out how I'm going to figure it, it out, make it get there. <laughs> so you said you do have future plans. Hundred milers are a thing, huh? I think they could be. Um, you know, I'm not going to rule it out. I never say no. Um, I always say, we'll see. I, I, I still say I can't, I can't see the path from for, to thinking 100 milers is a good idea. But I've been to enough of them that I, I enjoy them being at them. Well, I have a lot, I've, you know, I think that my mindset has changed a little on the 100 mile distance. So for me, it was like, again, my longest distance was like 49 miles. Well, it was also know. 140, right? You also had some Ironmans in there. Well, yeah, so. but those don't, those aren't the same. Although, you know, okay, biking you 100 miles is different than, you know, running. Yeah, running has never made my ass hurt that no. much. So that's true. Yeah, it does hurt the taint <laughs> a little bit. Um so uh, what I can say is that um, it's changed my mindset a little in that. And, and I think 5Ks are miserable. Like, mm -hmm. If you do them right, right. They're miserable. They're yeah. horrible. Um, and so really I've changed my mindset in that. It's really just like I'm going to do something that I'm going to keep moving for 25, 30 hours. It's re that's really all it is. is I'm just going to stay awake and keep moving and I'm going to eat food. I'm going to go to the bathroom, yeah. and I'm just going to keep moving forward. You see them as your adventures now rather yeah. than actual races. Right, and so it's really about just moving forward one step at a time. Do you think that this has um, sparked uh, that, that competitive racing, Mitch, again? Are you going to look at some shorter distances where you go a little bit faster? I actually have more fun just being out in the woods and, like, looking at these FKTs on, you know, fkt.com or whatever the website is yeah. and Strava segments and things like that. I have a lot of fun just trying to chase some of those things down or, or, or 
do well against the times um, yeah. versus races. But I will say that um, I am thinking about a, a couple of different things, you know, that are potentials. Um, and um, I have some unfinished business, too. You know, I mentioned Manitou's Revenge. Um, I want to get... It's now a lottery. Charlie, Charlie turned it into a lottery. Um, so... I um, will probably sign up for the Manitou's Lottery um, when it opens up in January, February. I know I will. Um, but then, you know, maybe I'll start looking at some other things, too. Um, one thing that, um, what, what was I watching? I just, so I'm one of those people that goes onto YouTube and just watches, like, weird adventure stuff. I saw this dude and Alex Honnold um, rode um, from Death Valley um, 135 miles to the base of um, Whitney, and then went up Whitney, and there's, like, an FKT for it, hmm. um, where, like, you ride the 135 miles, and it's all uphill. So, like, Because you're going from zero, you're going from sea level right. to 14, almost 15,000 feet so over like the, the course bad, of this. the Badwater course, and yes, then up Whitney. exactly. And then you have to climb Whitney. Um, and so, the Whitney portions, and you climb the mountaineering section. And Ugh. so the well, FKT is like... Alex Honnold climbs the mountaineering Yeah, section. well, really, it looks like you. the most you need is like crampons, right? Okay. And so you're going up a, you know, kind of like what looks like a glacier or something, you know. And so, um, like, that's something that looks really cool to me. Mm -hmm. Looks like a good challenge because the FKT seems reasonable. Maybe it's not, but in my mind, it looks reasonable based on how quickly I can ride, you know, a 112-mile bike ride yeah. and, you know, then... You I mean, know, you were only 40% off your Leadville goal. So. Yeah, I know. I was way off my Leadville no, 40%. goal. 40%. I mean, that's yeah. fine. I was way off my Leadville goal, but I was also injured. and. No, I mean, you, you, but you got it done. Yes. Right? And you had an adventure. So yes. if you look at the Whitney thing and it looks achievable and mm -hmm. you go out and do it and you're 40% off, well. It's okay. Know. I still did it. It's still something fun. You had a fun about. adventure. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> You gotta. You have to. Uh, again, like we started off talking about, like testing the limits mm -hmm. and seeing what you know where the failure points are and stuff. But I do think for some of these adventures, you have to think it's achievable. Yeah. Right. Like I mean. Well, I think I know they're all achievable. Yeah. It's not about thinking. I yeah. know it. Yeah. Who wants to start out thinking you're gonna fail? Yeah. That sounds miserable. Yeah. The only times I failed, I had three DNFs and they were all straight in a row. And they were all because I was having a serious back, mid-back problem where my muscles in my back would just completely seize up and I couldn't stand up straight. Right. And so I DN before that, I had never DNF'd. I DNF'd Manitou's, then breakneck point, then zero SPF. And I was having good races at the start of all of those, like very strong mm -hmm. um, starts where I was running like um, two, three, yeah. top two, three in all three of those races for a good portion of them, and then my back just seized up. And, then just, and that's probably, you know, <clears throat> have taught you a few things. Yes. And you had mentioned, like, well, you might... I, that I'm getting old and I need to strengthen well, and you instead mentioned, of just running. <laughs> well, you mentioned that your legs might want to go faster than the rest of your body wants to yes. go, you know. Well, or that I'm not fit enough to handle the pace, which means, like, so now I spend more time trying to do um, some strength work. Right. I yeah. built some strength work, strength work into my schedule. Right. Which helps a lot, because mm -hmm. I'm not 23 anymore, and I can't just go out and just sprint on the treadmill at MCC at. <laughs> right. Drop know, a 17 just to show yes, off. Yes, just to do it. Yeah. I can't do that anymore. 
I um, get that. My mind thinks I can, but my body says no. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, and there's there's old muscle memory in there. Yeah. Some of the bigger muscles remember, right? And yep. they're like, yeah, we could do this. So the other things um, that are kind of on my bucket list are the Wonderland Trail. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and I love watching Gary Robbins. Um, he's always I love fun to Gary watch. Robbins. Oh, he's yeah. like my hero. I yeah. want to move to Canada and run some of those mountains with him. I just want to be as positive as him someday. Yes. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and also, I want to be like him at an aid station. I'd like one peanut butter jelly sandwich. I want this. I want this. I want this. And I want my shoes changed. Yeah. <laughs> he well, like that, knows exactly what he wants. That's how Olga Huber is. Yeah. If you've ever been at an aid station with her, I she'll, haven't. she'll come in. She'll be like, three goose, two caffeinated, one not. No lime. <laughs> you know, like. Yeah. <laughs> Leave she, the lime out. I'm not yeah. feeling lime. Or, or I know it's not going to work for me. Yeah. Like, she just knows what she wants, you yeah. know. And, and I, I've. I very rarely have been like that, but, yep. but yeah, I, I, I do. I admire Gary Robbins in a lot of ways. I yeah. Think he's, he's totally cool. He's got, he's got his head on right. And he's got a wonderful beard. Yep. Wonderful he's, beard. he's blessed. I want he's, to get lost in that beard. He's blessed with the beard. Yeah. That's for sure. And then the last thing I want to do, um, besides more hiking with my daughter, who's now seven and we've done a bunch of high peaks together, starting when she was five, we do a lot of hiking up in the Adirondacks overnights, backpacking mm -hmm. and stuff. Um, besides hiking with my daughter, um, is I would like to do the hundred mile wilderness, mm. um, but I might try and run portions of it. Uh, my friend Dave asked me the other day if I wanted in three weeks to run, um, the 750 mile trail that they're talking about in New York. I'm not doing that. <laughs> no, three weeks. 35 miles a day. You think you're, you you got a hundred miler in your back, you know? Yeah, you I'm can... not running 35 miles a day for three weeks. 35 miles a day. I feel like I would fall apart. Yeah, I have, um, the, thing, the thing I'd like to do is I'd like to do, I, I, I really like the NPT and, you know, I did it with Davin when he did the FKT. Cool. And, um, I would like to just do that in four days. Like that's a, that's a 50 K a day for four days. Yeah. And I think that would be just a fun adventure. You bring it, bring a tent, a uh, ultralight tent and the, you know, and just do fast packing, do 50 K over four days. I yeah. think that that would be really neat. Oh, I think that's totally possible. Yeah. And I think it, it's just a fun, like, cause you do a 50 K in the morning and then you got all evening to chill. Yeah. That's a good out, point. You know, that's not a bad way to think about it though. I guess you could do that 750. Wow. You get it first thing in the morning. <laughs> right, you wake up, you have breakfast, rip off a 50K, and uh, have a good dinner, yeah. go to bed early. Yeah, I'll wake up really sore after about three days. It's just that, but then but then, it's like what everybody says when they do these uh, long FKTs, when you do the Appalachian or the PCT, mm -hmm. they're like, yeah, you wake up sore after three days, but then after six days, you're not sore. Mm -hmm. And then after 13 days, you're sore again, you know, yeah. and like... You're, you build. It's like a race, right? Mm -hmm. You have highs and lows. Yeah. I don't know. I, I love the idea of fast packing and those longer trips. Yeah. But at a pace, you know, if you're blowing yourself out every day, then that's where you're really finding something different. Absolutely. You know? But if you find, find the middle zone there, you know, you get, you get a little tired and you've hit your mileage for the day, kick back. Have some uh, beans by the old campfire. There you go. <laughs> and pick it up again tomorrow. Yeah. Maybe uh, flex a couple miles to tomorrow instead of today. Same thing, right? You you find a better lean-to here, stop early. You find a further lean-to, go a little bit further. Yeah. 
You know, that's what old men in their 40s start to think about. Well, yeah. Places to sleep. <laughs> what I typically find is I kind of like um, set a goal for myself. And it's always like I get to that goal and I'm always like, yeah, I could run a little more. Yeah. You know, that's usually where I'm at. I mean, even with Leadville, I feel like I could have run a little more, you know. And then maybe when I got there, maybe I could have run a little more. So, so much as what you were doing represented running. Yeah. Right? Yep, absolutely, yeah. Totally you could keep that. going, right? You yep. know, and that's, yeah. Well, that's that's the plan, right? You're going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. Mm -hmm. Keep moving forward. Cool, until man. Until something takes me out. <laughs> <laughs> cool. All right. Oh, we did it. You made it to the end. Thank you. Yeah, it was fun. I know, we could do for two more, three more hours. But. I look forward to um, having somebody else um, try Leadville locally so that I have somebody to talk to about it. All right, there you have it. Mitch's first 100 miler and our first podcast with our new mobile microphones. Both had a few bumps, but ultimately we're uh, better off in the end. So, yay. Did anyone notice Jen Malik mentioned two episodes in a row? Pretty interesting. Uh, check the show notes for a link to her episode in the past, as well as Phil Nesbitt's episodes. Also getting mentioned a lot recently. Additionally, there are links to everything Rio related that I talked about in the intro, like the podcast, the, the homepage, the message board, the Strava group, and Patreon page. And again, thank you to all of this month's Patreon supporters. Your continued financial support helps me keep improving this podcast. I see you and thank you. If you look forward to this podcast each week and it inspires, educates, or entertains you regularly, consider becoming a supporter. You can find those links at all those places, the homepage or the Patreon itself or in the show notes. There you go. Uh, one last thing, I'm always interested in your comments and feedback on the show, even if I don't say it every episode. Please drop me a line at chris at runninginsideoutpodcast.com and let me know your thoughts. Thank you all for listening, subscribing, and telling your friends. Thanks for sharing your stories and getting out there to create more stories. Until next episode, be thankful for what you've been given, be proud of what you've achieved, and let go of what you've lost. See you out there. You can hear me walk through the leaves now in my backyard. <laughs> I'm walking, I'm walking. I'm walking, I'm walking. Let's see how far this microphone goes. Do you still hear me? Yep. Do you still hear me? Yep. What will happen when it disconnects? Will it reconnect on its own? So many questions. That is the sound of me getting wood. Oh wait, that didn't come out right, did it? <laughs> <laughs>